0: Welcome to Serial Podcast 9. Let's uh let's start the podcast. Hi, right. I'm
1: Kevin Peterson.
2: And I'm Gerard Prota.
0: And I'm Ryan Benoit, and this is Serial Podcast 9. Episode 44. Four four? Four four four. I'm tipping.
2: I think it gets I'm pretty right, old when we're like
0: episode As old as Gerard. (laughs) Hey, guess what? We got a guest. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody should introduce our guest. Our guest shouldn't introduce themselves. All right. So
2: our special guest tonight is Chris Scrammon of Spectrum Motorsports. Uh, He is a turbo guru and just a super professional, really, really smart dude. Knows everything there is to know about turbos, efficiency, compressor maps, uh airflow you name it um yeah we'll
3: let him introduce himself hello hello um yeah thanks for inviting me on and i know a few of those things you've mentioned on on occasion but uh yeah (laughs) yeah it
0: sounds like i'm going to be real quiet on this episode because i don't know what any of those things are so i'm just looking forward to learning um so (laughs) first and foremost uh I always call you Scram. Can I just call you? Keep calling me Scram. Is that all right? I also call yeah. you a wizard sometimes.
3: <laughs> yeah, Scram is fine. Um, I've got a lot of nicknames and. Can I call you Scrim Dog Millionaire? Yeah, that's also all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good
3: one. We should we should yeah. probably uh,
2: firstly clarify that I guess we're talking turbos today. I well, I thought that was clear foremost. when
0: you broke it down, but yeah. yeah I mean, not. it might have been just
2: too technical. We could have just been said, "Hey, like we're talking turbos
0: with." Chris with chris from turbos yeah, with chris uh, that sounds like a great yeah.
1: saturday morning show
0: right <laughs> i enjoy this is before we even get into this um i scram you came to saskatchewan once to to judge a drift event right
3: yes at uh I did a very very sort of oblong oval-shaped track that i can't remember the name of now
0: uh king's park speedway there you go you visited
3: yeah and i was there
0: in the middle of the prairies that track was on rob dyrdek's ridiculous as a fun fact anyway um because a bmw hit the wall there and then it made it i mean if they're flying if
1: they're flying you halfway (laughs) across the country to to go judge ritter you must be
3: some sort of some sort of special guy you know
0: yeah Yeah. well
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean the difference is if they pay you or not. So that's kind of the the threshold.
0: <laughs> ah, they they paid you in fun, I believe. Maybe I did, I did times. have,
3: yeah, I got my value there, so I can't really complain to be honest. But yeah, yeah, scenic, uh, and then uh, I remember being That's one. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, very scenic. And then I, the so scenic, I moved away. <laughs> that is what the license plates say. Yeah, uh, and. There I was like, oh, and I, for some reason in my head, I started calling you a wizard. I was like, he's a wizard. And then I moved here and unrelated, someone else I know was calling you a wizard, but actually because of your, (laughs) your turbo skills, I just thought you looked mildly like a cool wizard. You don't actually.
3: But. Uh, I'm, <laughs> but I'm then, gonna work on. They're it, like yeah, no. Ultimately.
0: Yeah, they were like yeah no. Scramman's a turbo wizard, and I was like, oh shit! I just thought that dude knew magic. Anyway, so <laughs> I think it's very fitting that uh, you are on the podcast to talk about turbos. But first, Scram, what kind of car do you drive?
3: It's a great question. Uh, yeah, or? there's there's quite a few answers to that questions. I suppose. I guess we got to start it off with. Um, you know a very nice 2006 prius i knew Uh, that was coming first (laughs) (laughs) i gotta get that out of the way first right i mean you probably drive it the most too though yeah by by far so um (laughs) yeah we uh we have a pretty sweet prius and then um the cooler cars that never get used would be um my drift car which hangs around mostly because it's not worth anything to sell and every two years i'll take it out and you know, do a drift event or two and, uh, yeah, quickly. It actually got briefly worked on today, which is kind of a, kind of an anomaly, but, um, yeah. And then we have, uh, kind of a shop R 32 GTR that, uh, gets a lot of focus for sort of products and things like that, but ultimately also doesn't really get driven much. Um, and then, yeah, a couple other miscellaneous beaters, (laughs) Nothing else uh, very exciting. So that CHR uh, thing? Yeah, I have the CRZ, which oh, is yeah. another, uh, I guess you call it a back burner project. We, I mean, I guess it's been a year now I've had that thing and we bought it and we're planning on making a turbo kit for it as kind of a design exercise, um, you know, with sort of the idea of, you know, turbocharging engines with fuel efficiency in mind is probably something that's, you know, coming down the pipeline you know whether you agree to it or not and uh yeah anyways long story short a year later haven't done it but uh still drive it around so <laughs> one yeah. day maybe we'll get to it
0: um but your drift car is a i want to go to that also before we go into this 2006 uh toyota prius sounds like an amazing car which I have often argued should be my daily, my like daily driver. But uh, I was gonna say,
2: how how are the older hybrid? How, how's that thing going? Still, like pretty. Good? I
3: I can't honestly. I can't complain, and that car just keeps going and gets you know five liters per hundred k, and you just forget about it. <laughs> yes. You know, and uh, it's <laughs> it's nice, and it's it's funny actually. I mean, again, I don't want to be talking about this fucking Prius the whole episode, but uh, <laughs> I, I do. I mean, yeah, we do. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I actually like I I had a that fucking m6 and i sold it and the next day we were driving down uh down road by the shop and saw this thing in someone's front yard it was like hey that'll be pretty good on gas going from literally 20 liters um per 100k of 94 to like you know i wouldn't know liters. what that's like it was it was <laughs> horrendous and uh it, it made it all the sweeter i think just because it was such a change in uh in fuel economy yeah as stupid as that sounds but yeah
2: it's funny those um, things go for like three four hundred thousand kilometers
3: something because they're like they were the taxis of the time yeah and uh ours has you know <laughs> i don't even know fuck probably two hundred ninety thousand k that's amazing
2: yeah like for the hybrid and all that shit to still work like yeah. Toyotas really know what their toyota really knows what they're doing
3: <laughs> yeah and that's i learned that lesson long ago where like you have to have at least one toyota minimum at all yeah. times <laughs> because it will just get you to work and whatever the <laughs> hell else is going on you know blows up and you're just like well whatever i haven't done any maintenance on this but it's just gonna limp along <laughs> for another hundred thousand like so, that yeah.
2: camry that's sitting outside our shop it's literally been passed around to every yeah. known person <laughs> like
3: but if you yeah. you know charge it and take off whatever you're gonna get somewhere so um yeah that's
1: just it it's like you it feels like it's always there <laughs> it's always transportation if you needed
3: it you know yeah, yeah and sure. that's <laughs> it i don't I, i'd really love to know more about toyota's sort of you know, validation and development sort of procedures and methods because right, whatever it is, you know they know it, they've got it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: I've watched so. a video on it once and it is quite impressive. But yeah. I yeah. two things. I'm surprised Gerard didn't ask how fast the windows were on the Prius, like how fast they were <laughs> down. That's a big, big Gerard spec move. And a, second yeah, I don't know. Gerard. Did everything backwards? You don't daily a Toyota. Well, you kind of daily a Toyota, Me? but it's also your project. Yeah, like the Blit. I guess you kind of daily it. Yeah, I mean, it's daily but it's also like a project. Yeah yeah. It's a project. yeah, yeah, project. Yeah, I guess it's like could you. But then you have like yeah. Nissan's. You have yeah like, i, know, I, I mean recently i switched fine.
2: to the nissan I, i'm enjoying the truck lately and besides the fuel i just like absolutely love it like uh, so much more <laughs> yeah i
0: mean yeah i besides swear it's like faster that,
2: than the blit too it's just like d done pedal <laughs> down <laughs> like fuck all off. right
1: so, so, Jeremy, okay. how did how did you end up on the podcast with the the moniker of wizard as the tutor as the turbo guru uh, how did you get to where you are today? That's a very,
3: very long story. Um, I'm sure I could come up with cliff notes though. Um,
1: yeah, you can I, click, I, skip the part where you're born.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I guess I got into the turbocharger industry from a Craigslist ad, um, <laughs> pretty exciting, you know, like 14 years ago, I was like looking for a job after, you know, getting out of BCIT and it was like turbo manufacturer. Wow. Uh, I'm in <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> immediately applied and kind of stopped looking for anything else and kind of started off, uh, you know, on the manufacturing side of things, um, spent a, f- a few years doing that, um, you know, basically machining and working on different, uh, turbo components, things like that. I then, uh, briefly kind of went off on a, a tangent and started another quasi business, um, you know, doing some sort of drift card related crap and then, uh, yeah, changed minds about that. Went back to turbochargers and then, yeah, I was pretty lucky to, um, you know, fill a lot of different roles in a much larger turbo company and, uh, um, ultimately, uh, yeah, then started my own little business. That's kind of been growing for the last, I don't know, five or six years, um, yeah, and here we are. So we're making turbos for a pretty wide range of applications from, um, you know, side-by-sides and and UTVs, which is kind of a surprising little niche market, especially in the US. Like there's an unbelievable amount of those things running around and an unbelievable amount of money people are willing to spend on them. And then uh, obviously my own personal sort of passion is, you know, JDM cars and other Japanese vehicles. So, um, you know, we've got turbos and uh turbo kits for you know most of the usual stuff uh rb26s are something we do a lot of um you know jay-z stuff um you know same with uh later gtrs sort of the vr38 twin turbo stuff and uh yeah some some honda stuff civic, civic uh fk8s type rs and uh yeah you name it for the most part i mean Except for domestics most of the time, but uh, nothing really against that, to be honest.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, your personal drift car is a V8, so technically it's kind of domestic-ish.
3: Yeah, it's kind of domestic. It's still Japanese, but uh, it's got, you know, The best engine ever. Yeah. (laughs) If you you like uh, making your life hell and avoiding putting an LS for some reason. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. why don't you i was gonna say like ask we didn't even like really talk about your drift car but you do have a yeah. very, very cool drift car so why don't you quickly run us through your drift car and
1: uh been yeah. in a sure. It's been in a nine drift gala video
3: yeah that's true um so i i traded this car for a like a hundred dollar legacy <laughs> so this was a really quite a piece of crap. Um, but, uh, over the years, I had kind of been tinkering away from it, but, um, as of now, um, and for the last Mm -hmm. few years, it's, it's got a VK 56 in it, um, variable valve timing version. So 5.6 liter, you know, Titan motor essentially. Um, and it's, it's been mildly built with like rods and pistons and valve springs kind of sort of the basic stuff like that which with these motors ends up being a huge undertaking because you can't really just buy parts you know it's kind of a pain in the ass um but uh anyways it's turbocharged as well just because you kind of have to um and uh we're using a IHI rx8 it's called which is um kind of an unusual turbo from champ car from like the mid 2000s and um it's mounted behind the seat which is also kind of unusual just because the the motor's so wide. It's got dual cam heads, and you literally couldn't fit a three-and-a-half-inch downpipe through the frame rails if you really wanted to, and um, that was kind of our workaround. And, uh, yeah, besides let's that, just, it's got... Sorry, yeah, let's just say um, it is an S13 first. Oh, yeah, I should probably, yeah, <laughs> try to try to bury that a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> people figure it out pretty quick. It is a uh, dirty old S13, yeah. 1989. You've had it. What are yeah, the brakes I've had of? it for
0: a long time, though, right? Like, or
3: yeah, this would have been. um I swear,
1: I drove into that car like seven years ago.
3: Yeah, actually, you did. <laughs> that's that's true. Um, it might have been more than seven years ago, but maybe. You're... Yeah, at this rate, it was probably
1: like fifteen
2: years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, honestly, I think it was like 2008
3: or nine.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. So that was back then. It was SR and. Uh, uh th- that was was at the time that someone spun and everyone yeah. kind of piled up yeah, yeah. trent spun yeah there you go <laughs> uh <laughs> and uh yeah so it's got a bunch of other kind of it's got a few other parts from that champ car my my friend uh kind of deals with takeoffs and ended up buying this container full of this random champ car crap and including like 60 of these turbos and uh yeah so it has the eight piston brembos from this same generation of champ car and um you know, some other crap that is kind of like putting lipstick on a pig, I suppose, but um, it's kind of cool if you, if you care to look, (laughs) but most people uh, don't. And uh, yeah, it's just an S13, but it's, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's an interesting car, not particularly well done or functional. And it's one of those things where, you know, we probably put most of it together six or seven years ago. So a lot of it now is not very impressive in terms of, you know, craftsmanship or fabrication, but, uh, you know, you take it out and kind of have it parked in the pits or whatever. It's kind of funny to watch people walk up and kind of look at it and be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why does this stupid thing have a scoop in the quarter and kind of think it's probably fake. And then look at it like, okay, I don't really understand what's going on. And, <laughs> and you kind of get some funny questions out of it, but, the um, novelties about it, I guess, as far as what you get out of that car.
2: That's what we call, uh, this, the string is, fucking long broken on that one like you yeah. fully can't understand that car
0: yeah <laughs> I don't I don't know though Gerard was really amped to see it at the gala he yeah, was like yo <laughs> yeah like I, if you can get Gerard amped on your car <laughs> you're doing something like pretty pretty good I guess so um, I yeah. Will, yeah I will say that uh, yes I primarily know Screm as a drifter like that is mm-hmm. my my like knowledge base of you and turbos didn't come until much after so so you ain't no slouch in the drift scene you've been around (laughs) the block uh like we mentioned earlier you've been invited out to do judging for like canadians like western canadian series stuff um you used to travel a bit you've been down south right down to california yeah it's
3: uh it's it's funny i I feel like i go to a drift event nowadays and you know, there's a bunch of new people. I have no idea who anyone is. And, um, but yeah, people like yourself, I guess, and other people who were around a while ago still remember <laughs> for what that's worth. I remember. Yeah. Back in honestly. day. I think we all
2: started, well, I, I, I definitely was drifting around the same time as you guys. Or I guess we were all pretty much drifting the same and that was like 2007 to 2010 or something. Basically. Yeah. Yep. Those, those were the the glory, so was, days. The glory the, days. I don't know if you want to call them the glory days, <laughs> but yeah, those are that's when everything was like uh, new. You know what
1: I mean? I feel like it was love, a little bit after, after twenty ten. Uh, I don't know. For me, yeah. it was two thousand
0: eight, nine, ten. 10. Yep. My... Well, Scram, you went to uh, All Star Bash <laughs> with Hot Boys and Drift Union, didn't you?
3: Yeah that uh, that yeah. would have been 2012, 2013. Yeah. So that uh, was, I've... would be fun.
0: I've taken it upon myself just to be like the living history of Western Canadian drift. So I just like put everything <laughs> <There> <laughs> that everybody's done and I just try to remember all the things that happened. Um anyway, so there is a background there in motorsports and you have a dope car and we have a sense now of how you got into turbos. But why turbos I guess? Like actually break that down for me. Like Cause
3: you well, said you saw it. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things. I don't know. I I get really infatuated with topics and, and different things and then kind of get bored and move on in a lot of ways. I think maybe even drifting counts as one of those things. But um I, I found with turbochargers and turbocharging and internal combustion engines, there's like almost no no bottom to uh you know what you can learn and uh how you can be kind of stumped by um different aspects of it and, uh, it helps keep it interesting for, you know, almost, almost 14 years now. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it, it definitely keeps you, keeps you going and every, you know, every so often people are coming up with new technology, new ideas, and the bar kind of gets perpetually pushed forward. And, um, yeah, you're never, you're never really done with, with products like that. There's always ways to improve. There's always things you can, experiment with and, and do better. And it, uh, makes it, makes it rewarding in general, I'd say.
2: Not to mention, uh, like the business aspect of it is a whole new, like dimension compared to just the turbos themselves. Like, it's one thing to know a shit ton about turbos. Another thing to design, manufacture, machine, customized turbos It's another thing to sell turbos. It's another thing to market and, you know, like, like basically have a product line that's that's like a whole new you know what i mean like dimension to that turbo passion
3: yeah absolutely I, I think um the business side of thing is has been almost more challenging um you know the technical stuff is, it always maybe, is. maybe maybe what i'm better at and you know as as you guys both know you got to sort of figure it out uh, as a small business and you know really really uh do whatever Who the you, you call it small bro well
2: <laughs> <Just> relatively <kidding. laughs>
3: Do not. bigger than mine, I'm sure. but you know, just uh starting out. I mean, <laughs> you guys also started from you know a very small business and grew and grew and grew, and we're kind of we're know, still small same yeah, thing, and, yeah, yeah. we're still small trying our best,
2: yeah, no, for sure. it's it's super sick. It's cool, like seeing uh, progression like kind of within our friend group, not only not only our friend group, but like, you know, just all kind of coming from the same place where like really we're just kind of a bunch of drift skids at one point you know what i mean and then and then uh you know and then we sort of like found some sort of passion in doing these things and now we're all sort of professionals and have like bonified businesses like with like accountants and stuff you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. totally all of us are doing that it's real real well i mean you have like a corporate (laughs) job
2: so but you're also like professional you know what i mean like move like videographer content creator photographer like that is a thing you know what i mean so
0: yeah i suppose suppose it is fine uh Scrum, when you were talking about why you did it you said the bar kept moving and i thought what a great turbo pun you just put into talking about why you're passionate about turbos get it bar Okay. Anyway, um, why?
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> we all we all had already laughed.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Okay. So, hey, uh, this is a fun question. So, it's Spectrum Motorsports, right? Spectrum. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you choose that name? How did we get to that point?
3: Oh boy. Well, um, I'm not very good at, at inclusive. naming businesses and uh marketing and things of that nature but i guess when we came up with that the idea was to kind of show a broad range of sort of potential products and and applications and stuff like that and i guess that was kind of the idea or the concept you know you could you know we could we could build or design a a turbo for a you know two cylinder thousand cc you know glorified go-kart or you know a some other sort of race car you know and and everything in between so um yeah that was kind of about it nothing uh nothing too exciting
0: Uh, just no no rules like gerard has for serial nine with nine inch yeah no yeah all right um (laughs) uh, um I guess so. I don't even know like where to really start asking questions about turbos. So I guess I'll I'll start with that. Unless anyone else has questions that they want to.
1: Why don't you or ask a, a question,
0: question Ryan? When,
1: why don't you start? He, I mean, he just said he doesn't yeah. know what to ask.
0: Well, no, I like I I mean, but it's even starting out. So here,
1: I was just well, I was just watching this interesting video where these dudes were putting a steering wheel in an Aristo, and they were talking about how he was going to possibly switch to a single turbo. So like what would an an appropriate single turbo to put on a 2 JZ car that's manual be, you know, depends on your needs, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where um, it's, I mean, I think turbocharging in general is a lot of compromising. I mean, it's kind of just the nature of, uh, of doing it and the right thing for 300 horsepower or, you know, a bar of boost is, is going to be, completely incorrect if you're trying to do 800 horsepower and, you know, 35 or 40 PSI. So, um, yeah, I think applications wise compressor and turbine matching is probably the biggest challenge and probably one of the most maybe misunderstood aspects of, uh, yeah, of, of turbocharging engines. I think everyone's always kind of like, you know, hyper-focused on more flow basically, you know, and everything's about trying to flow, but realistically, you, you have to size things correctly. And I think, um, you know, realistically in the case of a 2J, um, you know, we, we generally build turbos between 58 and 62 millimeters for 2Js. Um, that's kind of the all around size that, that gets good response and, and torque and, you know, generally speaking, can still get into a 700 horsepower range, but, uh, yeah, I'm not really a fan of, huge massive turbochargers unless you're specifically drag racing or something else like that and um you know again you could you could probably have three or four different builds and the right turbo um would be would be slightly different for for each one and um yeah maybe that's one of the things that i've gone too deep in as far as um customer service and things like that we we quite often will you know go back and forth with with someone on on their build and and make little tweaks here and there. And, um, you know, basically make something sort of custom tailored to to whatever the application happens to be and, and whatever the power goal happens to be.
2: Kevin and I both run Spectrum Turbos. Yeah, I have that's, one. That's true. I have one that needs to go on. This guy right oh, here yeah. <laughs> he needs to film it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my 2J also had, my 2J had a, a spectrum and that, that one definitely made a bunch of power and and good response and torque and then kevin also runs a stock type one on his one j
3: yeah yeah and uh that one's been been going for a, a few years i guess now yeah um, still still not water-cooled i guess
1: still not water-cooled no
3: <laughs> well that's it's a good test anyways um,
1: yeah I and mean, yeah. i've had it i've had it glowing like fully <laughs> glowing before
3: yeah um my Maybe not the, the right way to do it, but uh, good to hear that it's working. So don't get any ideas out there if you're, you know, running one of our turbos and decide that water cooling is a pain in the ass. It is useful, you know,
2: <laughs> it's there for a reason. Yeah. My, my 2G made uh 600 horsepower and like 500, at least 550 torque. And it's a, it was a 62 mil billet, but then we had done some funky stuff with like a, like an EFR front half and, and like a ported, like all sorts of, I mean, you, you tell me what it was. It
3: yeah, was like, yeah. So that was kind of, um, a <laughs> one off. Was, it was half. Yeah. So we basically kind of bastardized a, an S 300 with an EFR. Um, so the compressor uh, assembly is, is from an 8374 mm-hmm. and- um, Which is the turbo I
2: wanted after, but then I was like, we already
1: yeah. had this S 300. So what do, what does the 8374 mean? What is it? What are those
3: numbers? <laughs> so every turbo manufacturer, has a different way and a different so they, means yeah. of, of defining the size. So in the case of Borg Warner, um basically 8374 means the compressor exducer is 83 millimeter diameter and the turbine inducer is uh is 74 mil. So um I think their their approach is to you know measure and specify the you know external diameters of both sides in why the room. external
2: and not the internal like why would they call it a 62 62- Wow. 4 or something.
3: So I think I think Borg Warner and you know the, the Borg Warner and the Garretts of the world are, are a little more OEM based in their like overall approach. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that parameter as far as you know the external or exducer diameters is, is important when you're looking at shaft speed and tip speed characteristics. So if you're looking at it quickly, you can kind of you know gauge it based on that. Um, you know, other companies like you know, precision, for instance, that would do something, you know, that same turbo would be essentially a 62, 66, um, basically with their nomenclature using the inducer of the compressor and the exducer of the turbine, which basically is going between looking at the, you know, parameter most related to um, relative speeds versus the actual sort of flow capability of each in, in the case of precision
2: what i was going to say is maybe we should just rewind all that shit and, and start out with like what's the what are the basic like what you know what i mean like not everybody knows what an exducer is or an inducer compressor turbine like yep. there's a lot of there's a lot of shit and to know about turbos and maybe let's just start with like a real quick sort of basic how it works and what are the parts called and all that stuff
3: okay um yeah, we can do that. Why doesn't Ryan try to explain it, and we can
1: see? Yeah, you know, let's, we'll let's do that. That'll, that'll be better. <laughs> yeah.
0: that'll be better. No, <laughs> yeah. let's not.
1: No, yeah, yeah. so, let's so not the, do the that. the exhaust gas is coming out of the motor. Yeah. Now what
3: happens? Yeah, pretty much. God damn. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would always sort of instinctively start on the compressor side because that's kind of where you're airflow is is entering the whole system. Um, so the compressor is
2: the hot side the turbo so like the, the compressor
3: is the cold side cold So side. Oh, right. basically uh, technically in most cases it's a centrifugal compressor. so you really kind of end up splitting the two or I guess three main portions of a turbo if you're if you're looking at it scientifically. So you have a compressor which uh, you know ingests the air through the inlet. Um, the inducer is this smaller, diameter of the two of the compressor wheel, basically where the entirety of your, you know, uh, airflow is, is passing through as it enters the compressor. Um, you know, it's spinning at very high speeds and air is accelerated and discharged from the lower and larger diameter, which is known as an exducer. Um, at which point it has, you know, high velocity and uh, comes through an annular ring known as a diffuser, where it is sort of converted from Uh, Velocity into static pressure. And then all that pressurized air is collected by the housing, um, specifically the volute, as it's called, um, which is the part of the turbo that's defined by A over R, which most people would have heard of or would have heard of. Um, And uh, yeah, from that point, it gets just discharged into your intercooler through the engine, you know, whatever happens in there, we're not too concerned of. And then it comes out. Uh, into the turbine. Um, the turbine is basically coupled to the compressor through a bearing system and a uh you know CHRA. And basically the um, pressure and energy uh, discharge from the engine is now driving your compressor, which is ingesting more air, pressurizing it, feeding it back through the engine into the turbine, and uh whatever's ex- you know excessive and unnecessary for. Um, you know, providing whatever shaft fire is necessary gets way So in the case of a spark ignition, you know, internal combustion engine, uh, the way skating is very important. And another thing that's kind of often overlooked in terms of, you know, matching and sizing and, and things like that. Stop, you now explain it to me I like got... I'm five.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now explain it to me like I'm me. <laughs> yeah. All you could... I see is like the meme of you being like, you know, I'm a bit of a scientist myself, <laughs> you know, <the> spider man.
3: <laughs> if I, yeah, I bet, I bet if I got put on the spot to explain that ten different times, you'd probably get ten different answers. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we could boil it down even further, uh, <laughs> well, a lot further. <laughs> yeah, a lot further. Air go um,
1: in front side, air come out back yeah. side faster. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I guess the bottom line is. If you have an engine, okay, I I, yeah, I gotta sort of. Uh, <laughs> I
2: love <laughs> I gotta. I can't even think that dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Don't <laughs> like, say any big words, Chris.
3: Okay, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm basically censoring myself as I go, but yeah, yeah okay. an engine will will make a certain amount of power when you are only feeding it with the pressure of the atmosphere, and uh, if you want to make more power, you cram higher density air into it and away it goes. And the turbocharger facilitates that.
2: Okay. So yeah. why is a turbo better <laughs> than a supercharger, bro?
3: Oh yeah. That's a good one. Um, I mean, superchargers have their place. I think they technically predated turbochargers in aviation, but, uh, you know, fundamentally a supercharger is driven off the engine and the engine, you know, will basically lose whatever power it takes to drive the, the drive the supercharger. So, um, it's actually kind of surprising, you know, if you have a, a compressor for you know a typical high performance application it can take 30 40 50 60 kilowatts to drive it so what the hell is a kilowatt a kilowatt is a measure of power so like 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 horsepower basically oh um,
2: but how many kilo how many horsepowers is in 50 kilowatts <sighs>
3: Third question. That's probably, and again, this is off the top of my head, it's probably 70 horse or something like that. So, 70
2: horse to drive a supercharger that gives your engine how many horse d- depends on, right?
3: Uh, yeah, you, you could probably have, you know, again, theoretical uh, made up numbers. You could easily have 700 horsepower. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you don't have 700 horsepower in this case, you're getting ripped off, but then, yeah, you're, um, you're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> game over. But, yeah, anyways, the, the point being, if you, are using a turbine to drive your compressor instead of your crankshaft. In the case of supercharger, you're you're basically recovering waste energy. Yeah, and, the exhaust, the, the exhaust otherwise. coming out
2: of your engine drives the the turbo, which makes
3: power. Right, exactly. And, and that's kind of, you know, waste is sort of the, um, you know, final frontier of internal combustion engines. Realistically, mm-hmm. um, in the case of high performance, you're trying to just use as much of it, um, you know, as far as exhaust energy to, drive a compressor and make more boost and more power mm-hmm. or in the case, I of mean, fuel, it's literally build.
1: just a giant wasted heat machine.
3: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and you know, like you said, your turbo glows red sometimes and all that heat is, is waste basically energy that's been turned f- from your fuel into, into heat. That's not propelling you forward. So making use of that with a turbine and, and a turbo is beneficial. And, you know, generally speaking, if you had the same amount of boost, at the same compressor efficiency between the two, you know the parasitic loss of, of supercharger will subtract whatever that power is from uh, from your ultimate engine output. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, we're recycling.
3: It, it sounds like we're recycling.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's better for the environment. It, it is, is better for the environment. For sure,
3: for yeah, the environment. yeah, there. Yeah, when you take your twenty two hundred cc injectors and um, you know. <laughs> As much 85 four, as you can fuel into it. pumps. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good.
2: Um, so so response wise, uh, can a turbo like like why do people like superchargers over turbochargers? And why do people like turbochargers over superchargers? Because everyone says that turbos have turbo lag, don't they?
3: Yes, and and they do fundamentally if you had a situation where there's not enough enthalpy in the exhaust flow to drive a turbine to whatever you're Target boost is it's it's not going to make boost. So in the case of a supercharger, especially if it's a roots type or something like that, you know roots not, type is the the screw, yeah, screw, screw type compressor. Type, you might yeah, not the centrifugal uh, type. Okay, yeah. Yep. So you're you're gonna be able to basically, you know, in that case, you probably have an upstream throttle. As soon as you open it, you're pretty much on to torque immediately. So there's definitely cases, you know, and drifting might be one of them where if you want instantaneous torque. You know, superchargers definitely have their place. Um, in the case of centrifugal superchargers, you you don't really get the bottom end that you do with the roots type. So there's kind of a trade off there. But there's situations where, you know, now the higher you rev it and the faster your supercharger is spinning, the more boost you're going to make. So the torque band can be, um, you know, maybe a little more manageable in some situations. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's definitely simplicity in terms of install. You know, a lot of them don't. Have to be tied into the engine's oil system and things like that. And you know, if you had a BRZ or something, you could probably slap a supercharger on pretty quick. And the turbo install might be a little more complicated, um, but ultimately, you get a lot more adaptability mm. and uh, really a lot. You know, you get frankly more knobs to turn with with turbocharging, which which makes it a little more exciting if you're not only focused on sort of keep it simple. It feels uh, like there's probably
1: like two dozen different superchargers. Like, and that's, that's like probably an optimistically high number. And (laughs) it probably feels like there's like 2,400 different turbos, like easily, you know what I mean? And like,
3: yeah. No, I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: a centrifugal supercharger is
2: basically a a engine driven turbocharger. Like it, like a gear, like it's driven off the crankshaft. And that's like a fairly new, newer thing because the roots type blowers like what you see all those big v8s with that giant chunky thing on top um but ultimately like a lot of the v8 guys are even going to turbos now just simply because they, they've discovered it and they're like oh yeah like turbos are just like way sicker and way more like they're way more uh
1: dynamic let's say right
3: like you yeah can... absolutely and i think that you
1: know you that sweet that sweet wine though bro yeah
3: that's true <laughs> and realistically in, in the case of a supercharger the compressor, obviously the design is completely different for a few different reasons, but it's the same idea. It's just you either have a turbine driving it or the engine itself with a belt is, is driving it. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, some of the results are similar. Yeah.
2: But, uh, with a turbo, obviously you specialize in making the turbo response and the, the, the engine driving characteristics, like obviously like good or whatever you want to call it. Like it has a, a broad torque band. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like what name some things that you would want, like in in an ideal setup in Chris's world, what what would a Spectrum Motorsports turbocharger get, you know, the guy who wants to, say he wants to buy one of your 1J bolt-on turbos or the new kit that you're working on is basically a, an Artec manifold with a, uh, what's the frame, you, the one that you just posted on Instagram?
3: Um, well, we, yeah, so we're basically, Trying to make some more complete kits for for VVTI, one JZs, and, mm-hmm. and other JZ applications. So, um, you know, we're using a, a manifold uh, from a company called Artec out of Australia. Um, and actually, I, I've I've known the owner Ben for quite some time, actually, because of the uh, previously mentioned IHI RX8s. So he oh, was wow. another another guy who <clears throat> sort of got a hold of one of these turbos, and it's it's just kind of really bizarre as as far as turbos are concerned, and he somehow found my contact because I don't know, there's just not that many getting around. And uh, I built one or two of them a few years ago. And, anyways, long story short, uh, he's made some very nice manifolds. Um, we kind of didn't really get too far into manifolds and kits for Jay Z's specifically mm. because they're kind of challenging, you know, compared to RB's, for instance, you know, an RB26 kit, it'll fit R32, 33, 34 they're all the same you know there's not as many swaps and things like that whereas a jz you know if it's in like 800 different yeah you guys know better than me but there's probably 10 or 12 different applications with a 2j um people swap them into literally everything so you know you go and design a manifold or a turbo position and you put it in a certain location and it works great for half of the applications and then one of them's yeah. got a different strut tower and you know they're like yeah, oh, exactly. can you, this guy has can this mount this uh, these engine yeah. mounts and this yeah. guy has the this this swap kit and like
1: it fits with this turbo but not that turbo and yeah it, and now exactly. you can't put a downpipe on the fucking thing right so yeah like, yeah and, like, and they're like, like right oh, can hand can drive just, versus left hand drive like
3: yeah totally and they're like oh yeah can you just move it this way and it's like well you can't you know we we have everything fully designed you know in solidworks and fixtured and Yeah. can just go and make little tweaks like that out of of nowhere. So, um, yeah. So, anyways, basically, they've designed these very, very, you know, nice investment cast um, manifolds that allow you to do things design wise and and packaging wise that you just can't really can't with fabrication. So, um, you know, when we got wind of that, um, we thought it was a good opportunity to be able to build around a manifold that is more compact fits all engine mounts you know fits all different strut towers and whatever else and um, mm-hmm. you know lets us sort of focus on the turbo side of things because ultimately that is our specialty but we kind of got um, you know sidetracked with fabrication quite a, quite a number of years ago and
2: back that up for a second what does yeah. investment cast mean so it's a it's, cast manifold
3: yeah right? so it's it's a it's a, a kind of casting method so it's also known as lost wax and. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I mean, it's a pretty involved procedure and it's not necessarily my sort of specialty, but they have, you know, um, basically ways to, to cast very complicated shapes that, uh, are, are challenging to do with. Yeah. Previously uh, with wouldn't other be, shapes. wouldn't
2: be possible to do because yeah. er, everyone it's thinks cast manifold. casting. Yeah, people think cast manifolds, and they think like a log or like a stock one or this and that. But yeah, these are these are beautiful. Like, what are they made of? Inconel or
3: uh, they're three four seven. So, um, you know, one of the highest grades of stainless. That's, you know, really well suited for for exhaust gas yeah. temperatures. So, um, yeah, so yeah, they have, yeah. So they're stainless and they're cast. Yes, and and they've got some some very good techniques that are allowing for more. Um, you know more more uh laminar shapes with runners and collector features and all sorts of stuff like that that's uh, a better flow yeah basically you know like you said there's cast manifolds from from the past are historically pretty crude mm-hmm. um but these are are definitely you know designed a lot a lot better than than typical and you know realistically um the, the opportunity to do that without the limitations of fabrication lets you do more exciting things that uh, are oftentimes either cost prohibitive or, or almost impossible to do. So, you know, wastegate flow characteristics, you can, you can optimize and um, you're not limited by the way you can cut a collector and yeah. um, how you can weld it and, on. Yeah. Exactly. Welding, welding, stuff like that. And especially in the case of Jay-Z one of the things that I like the most about these are, um, you know, access to the bolts around the head flange Mm because for for whatever reason all all the jay-z's kind of have unusual spacing between their runners and there's always you know three different um nuts or or fasteners that you can barely get to and you've got like wrenches that you've chopped down and yeah that sort of stuff (laughs) everyone's
2: got the special 14 (laughs) millimeter jay-z exhaust manifold wrench yeah
3: exactly so they've got a little more room with that sort of stuff so um we've been fortunate to kind of get uh, a hold of prototypes and have been building the rest of the kit all around them. So, um, yeah, those, there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of those getting around starting this year. Um, and, and I think a lot of the big, big companies are going to be pushing them as well. And you'll probably see them in a lot of big builds.
2: I think uh, someone on this podcast is getting an Arctic manifold <laughs> on his 2J.
3: Oh, yeah. I, is
2: that me? I That's think you, you, buddy.
3: There you go. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like Oprah. All you just right. gotta like reach under the seat and, and pull yeah. it
2: out. <laughs> you get an Arctic. Yeah. You get an RTC. Yeah. And what what's the what's the turbo that we're gonna put on Ryan's 2JZ streetcar?
3: So considering um considering that Ryan never drives fast.
2: Okay, so what yeah. like a 26 millimeter or something? <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so what, what we would normally put on that, uh, we call the SR60 or no 58, we'd say we'd probably want to do a 58 mil compressor on that. Um, so yeah, tiny bitch known as known as an sr 58, but they're still good for, um, you know, up, up to 550 wheel horsepower or so, but they have really good response. And, uh, for a street car, I think it's a, it's a good combination. It's pretty popular with, you know, kind of people drifting and, and that sort of thing. It's not really the kind of turbo you're going to want for high boost or anything like that. But, uh, for a street car especially you know with a w58 or whatever else you want to you want to yeah, keep it yeah. keep it mild <laughs> yeah
0: stupid w so why don't you want 700 horsepower Ryan? why don't you want 800 horsepower i don't even know what i would do with that other than tell people that i have that much horsepower <laughs> that's, a ma-
1: that's a very very mature thing of you. Yeah. yeah be right. able to realize that and admit that
0: you know I'm the guy that takes photos. I'm not the guy that like gets featured, you know, that's my, not my <laughs> jam. Um, Scrum, how much of your job is just like handholding and explaining, like taking all the knowledge you have in your head and like trying to explain it to a, a child like me or a caveman like Kevin? <laughs> Kevin <laughs> well, gets it, but I like Kevin, Kevin's caveman analogy. That he's used in the past. That sounded rude. Uh, I didn't mean it to be. I'm not crying about it. <laughs> ah, cavemen don't cry. That's why. <laughs> uh, yeah,
3: I yeah mean, like if if I'm being honest, I definitely, you know, in years past, spent entirely too much time. Yeah, you know, making. You know, we we'd be doing like compressor and turbine matching calculations for, you know, basically selling one turbo or you know some some customer has whatever sort of different cylinder head or um, some other sort of unique consideration. So we'd be, you know, maybe machining a slightly different trim or some other change to the, to the turbocharger and um, you know, it gets cumbersome and you end up sort of being limited with, with, you know, with how much time you have in a day. So um, nowadays we try to just have a, a bit of a formula for, you know, most, most of our usual sort of clientele or most typical you know applications so by now we try to you know be a little more concise with with the feedback and uh you know kind of touch on a couple of key considerations and uh kind of lock in what we've kind of already proven in um, previous cases but yeah it can be it can be pretty um involved in in some cases and uh yeah you can definitely spend 50 60 emails going back and forth on <laughs> you know, this option or that option, or, Oh, but what if I want to do V cam down the road? And what if this, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get a one size fits all, um, turbo for, for a lot of different uses though, unfortunately, or a turbo so,
1: that you can grow with.
3: Yeah. That's, that's the other thing actually that I've got a few sort of peeves, um, with, uh, with turbocharging and, and being in that industry. And one of them is, is that, you know, like I want a turbo. For, yeah. T- two years or three years down the road, when I build my motor, which most of the time never is going to happen, no, happen. We, we get that all the time with, with
2: clutches. I was like, "Yeah, hey, how much horsepower do you have now, or how much torque do you make now?" Oh, I'm planning for 800, so I want the triple. It's like, well, like when are you going to get the 800? Like have you ever driven a triple plate clutch like do you drive this yeah. car on the street like yeah
1: are you, you even know? at 600 now like yeah but now
2: now it's like i was just gonna say like your formula is like yo if he says bro then just give him the bigger turbo and and if he, if he talks like normal you just get him like a site like a properly sized turbo you know what i mean like-
3: yeah exactly and, and that's the thing if you if you do that you know you basically end up just living with you know, some clutch that sucks for three years or Or turbo turbo that's excruciatingly laggy. Yeah. And (laughs) And then they're like, yo, it sucks. Exactly. And so we try to, I'm always trying to push people towards getting literally the smallest turbo that will hit your power. Yeah. Because overall the entire experience is, is better, you know, whether you're actually competing or doing motorsports, or whether you're just, you know, ripping around in a streetcar, having that sort of response is, way more enjoyable and i think way more valuable than being able to you know pie in the sky build your motor and you know then have this perfect turbo for something that may or may not happen so we also try to you know we try to offer um you know in between steps like you know for instance if you have a turbocharger and you run it for a season and you're like oh i want more power you know you can send it back we can service it we can upsize the compressor and we can make it into what it you know, needs to be for wherever you end up going with your project which i think is you know pretty valuable because a lot of the times you see people they buy some turbo missize it and whether it's larger you know too small um you're stuck with it and then you're reselling some expensive thing that uh, no one wants because it's used and then going and buying another one and yeah you um, turn into a big pain in the ass and you know especially nowadays there's a lot of new you know technology with turbochargers yeah. everyone comes out with a new generation you know every couple of years and you know the marketing teams are are ramped up and everyone decides that oh what i have now sucks and i now have to go and buy this and they end up misunderstanding the approach with you whatever know, should, this new turbo is we just do is. that
1: rapid fire like we say some sort of turbo tech and you say <laughs> good or not good
3: okay. yeah <laughs> go for it yeah that'll be funny <laughs> um yeah but um it, it's it's really important to get it sized right and it's easy to go up in size later um if you're modifying it you know you can basically just remachine uh either end of the turbocharger and and fit a new rotor group or whatever else but as soon as you've gone too big getting you know getting you have to it buy more, new components smaller, yeah exactly it becomes more difficult so
4: mm-hmm.
3: um my rule of thumb is the right turbo is the smallest one that will that will basically meet your power goals mm-hmm nice
0: that, that is that's actually like super interesting because i feel like the culture side of cars usually you just have a dude that's like i just bought the biggest fucking turbo i could get and i put it on my car i like, feel like that's a bit of like yeah. an
2: older older sort of thing i think a lot of people yeah. now are getting pretty savvy with like i mean a lot of the new turbos are, are very very different than older turbos so like response is has kind of come into like the world is like being much more important than like ultimate power or whatever. Right. So like every all, like you said, the marketing teams and basically everyone's like talking about response and, and linearity or, you know what I mean? Like, a well, it's not just band. like
1: driven by like drag racing anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. Like that would be like, you go, mm-hmm. you get the biggest turbo basically, you know? Yeah, like
2: a T88 on a stock 2J. That's real, (laughs) real nice. Perfect. Yeah, (laughs) I mean,
1: once it's spooling, who cares?
2: Yeah, I mean, it fucking (laughs) doesn't do anything for like eighty percent of the power band (laughs) or the the RPM.
3: That's you know was something that was very acceptable, you know, decades ago, and now it's like. Yeah, I mean question. it's like
2: a, back then too. Is like two J's are just like a dick measuring contest, right? Like it's like oh, I got a thousand horse. I got it, it doesn't fucking matter. You never drive that car anyway, so like, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like I could have eight million horsepower yeah. on paper, but like, does your yeah. car drive? Can you can you go down the street and, and shred the tires? Like no, because like you know, what I mean, you're going like eight hundred miles an hour before you even make boost.
0: So, yeah. So, yeah. Gerard is far less scientific than Scrim is, is what I've done. <laughs> You're going 800 miles an hour. To the moon. But
2: yeah, my the turbo that's on my 2J is literally from 2008. Like it's one of the original, like when BorgWarner first came out with those, the s, S300, s SX and all that other stuff. Like I, I was like probably one of the first people to have those. And then, you know, it was twin scroll technology. It was like, I don't know, kind of newish to like guys back then and we had two wastegates and everything and it, and I had a 1.5J that was like kind of higher comp and I remember driving that car for the first time with that setup and thinking holy shit like this is what like a proper turbo is like that car just made torque everywhere it was it was so responsive and I just remember thinking man this is it feels like a big engine like it just feels like an, a big NA engine um and then yeah like turbocharger even like technology and and stuff has come like a very long way since then um but yeah Scrummin just basically modified my turbo and I feel like it's still like pretty good today even so but yeah I mean yeah all this ball bearing stuff now and like the the Garrett turbos have just really come up in the past I don't know how long but like all I see now is like G G30s and G I, I don't even know what the nomenclature is but like just all these new Garrett turbos just seem to be like the cat's, you know, the bee's knees or the cat's ass or whatever.
3: Yeah. And and they're, they definitely, you know, they're very good. They're very expensive, but they are yeah, very, very good. expensive. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of people, you know, miss misapplying the, the, the technology though, honestly, because oh, really? realistically, you know, it's, it's another sort of sizing exercise, I guess, but you know, frankly, you're not going to find another turbo with higher peak efficiency, but you know, if you size it incorrectly or you have some weird compressor turbine mismatch going on, you might not even make use of that, you know, part of the map or, or that sort of mm-hmm. the efficiency range and you can be let down. And I definitely know of a feeder from people who kind of got the wrong feel for them right off the bat. And we're just kind of like, no, these are, these are shitty. And it's, it's not the case. It's just, you can literally put, put the wrong turbo in the wrong engine and it mm-hmm. can be the greatest thing of all time. But uh, if it's not sized right, you're you know you're not going to enjoy it, and you're going to get the wrong idea.
0: Yeah. So yeah. What kind of what kind of advice would you give to someone like Joe Schmo coming off the street, being like, "I'm going to buy it. I'm going to upgrade my turbo for my car." This is very vague, so bear with me. But like, yeah. what what kind of things <laughs> should someone out there be looking for if they're looking to upgrade? So I think you've hit a very like key interesting point, which is like build for your current kind of set up and power goals don't build for three years down the road but like aside from coming to Scrum and straight up just being like (laughs) point and shoot like what should somebody be looking for when they're when they're starting out on a project like that
3: well um it it will kind of depend on on sort of the goal i suppose and nowadays there's a lot more sort of factory turbocharged vehicles that are getting upgraded and i think that's definitely a a more straightforward step, you know, you're not having to get really far into the details of, you know, single turbo conversions or manifolds and downpipes and lines and kind of all the custom stuff. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think, uh, as, as I said before, kind of define what you're using the car for what your power goal is, you know, if you have a baseline of the performance you're dealing with now, that's always helpful. Um, and then it really does take, you know a bit of perspective from that aspect to to be able to even suggest anything um you know another really important thing is what fuel you're going to use because of course you know us locally here we know that pump gas is especially ours is terrible and you could put the best turbo on you could find and spend thousands and thousands of dollars but if you're running sort of crappy uh crappy pump gas you're you're not going to be getting, you know, up over 20 PSI anyways, in most cases. So it's completely useless. And, um, you know, any other sort of supporting mods is also important to consider when you're trying to pick what turbo or what setup you're, you know, going to want. And, and what's already,
2: man, you got to give an answer, use your formula. Do
3: you say bro or not? (laughs) Yeah, bro. That's, that's true. Another good one. Honestly,
1: I think though, like you already hit the nail on the head. It's just like, you, you have to like find out what they're going to use the vehicle for and what their actual goal is. And it's the, the problem is, is that the customer's not realistic in that, you know? And, and like, I feel that like, you're going to get your, you know, like same thing with ordering the clutch or ordering the suspension or like, you know, like you have to be realistic with where, what level you're at and what level you're building the car to, not what you want to want it to be.
3: Yeah. And it's difficult selling products like that too because if you on the one hand you know you, you naturally you know obviously the customer is always right in a sense and on the one hand you want to go all right sure you know this is yeah. sort of what you want but you know on, at the end of the day you have to make sure that it's gonna you know result in, in what they're expecting because if it's not then they're going to kind of blame you even though maybe it wasn't your suggestion and next you know they get the wrong idea about your product like yeah, you know, so many people yeah. have with all sorts of different brands. It's actually hilarious. You know, you have three different people asking you about a turbo kit for whatever their car is, and one of them's like, Oh, I have to it has to be a precision, you know, and the other yeah. guy's like, Oh, only Garrett. And then, you know, everyone has this this sort of perspective of this brand is gonna work, and this one is terrible, but you know, nothing actually aligns with that in reality, and <laughs> you, you kind of have to like, you know wade through it as best you can and, and sort of heard the cats, so to speak, when it, uh, when it comes to matching the right, uh, right turbo to an application and the right turbo to a customer, even, you know,
2: our customers today, or I guess, uh, have you noticed any sort of change in customers sort of realistic es- expectations or knowledge versus, you know, say two, three years ago when everybody just maybe wanted the biggest or the best or the, like, do you notice it maybe customers today are a bit more realistic uh,
3: you educated. Know, I, I think that, uh, there's, there's been a lot of things from people watching too much YouTube that kind of muddy the water lately. Um, everybody's a, lot, a
2: fucking expert now. Everyone's
3: an expert. Yeah. And that's, exactly, that's just it. There. There's, there's a, you know, there's, there's a range I find where, you know, someone's maybe they're not experts. Maybe they're not, uh, you know, complete layman, but they kind of, they, they understand what they know and they know what they know. And so they're like able to sort of explain it and take mm-hmm. your advice. Whereas then there's other people who they've literally watched hundreds of hours of YouTube and they think they know everything. And they're trying to like, you know, basically tell you what, what they want, regardless of, of your expertise. And
2: they know enough to be, to be uh what's the word? Um, yeah, sorry. Like they know enough to like Basically, screw it up because they, like you said, yeah. they think they know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyways,
3: they, don't know what, they don't know what they don't know, and that's yeah. <laughs> an interesting thing that I've dealt with a lot. Um, which I think they call the Dunning Kruger effect.
1: Yeah, oh, is that what it is?
3: yeah, it's a relationship between perceived expertise and real world expertise, and regardless of the um, you know the the topic at hand, you'll find that people will learn about a topic, think they know everything really know nothing and then the more you time the more time you spend learning um about a specific topic you end up ultimately f- understanding how much there is still to know anything
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and,
3: and so by the time you're like 10 years yeah. into it you're like uh i don't like speaking in uncertainties because you know the arrogance is worn off so to speak um
0: <laughs> yeah but yeah that's it, it's, it's, sure. it's really
3: apparent with turbochargers because yeah um it's very easy you know if you've you know i've had i've had to work with. Um, OEM engineers for a number of years and there's things people will say that's factually completely inaccurate and it'll, it'll kind of just like raise a flag and you're like, oh, damn it. Like not another one. Yeah. So you're kind of like, I can't really, you know, you can't go and just be like, that's completely false and, and you're dumb. Um, tell me about, but you have to you know, <laughs> mitigate it as best you can.
1: <laughs> tell, tell me about the different types of uh, center housing, rotating assemblies and what their advantages are. Okay. And that's that's also known as
3: a CHRA. Yes, that is there you go. Uh, yeah, I've heard people say k- kachara.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is
3: it. which is a good one. Um, Yo,
2: give me that ball bearing kachara. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um yeah, I mean that's I feel like every every topic I'm gonna be kind of like wishy-washy on because um, you know, we actually exclusively build ball bearing turbochargers. Um there's a lot of benefits. I think there's also a lot of marketing that gets mixed in with it. A lot of people think the second it's ball bearing, you're instantly going to gain all this amazing response. And um, similar to inertia, I think it's one of those things that people just put way too much weight into. Um, it's certainly important. You know, it's, it's, a it's not like consideration, but you're not going to, exactly it, it, it is. But the biggest difference is um, the axial load handling capabilities. So for instance, in a journal bearing turbocharger, Like, you know, S300 is a good example. Um, You know, the the radial loads are handled by journal bearings and and there's a big thrust bearing that that handles thrust forces or axial loads. And when you have a high boost situation or a really big delta pressure between the compressor and turbine, you're basically going to be imparting an axial load into the whole rotor group. And so if you have a case where, you know, you have 50, PSI absolute in the turbine and and the compressors only got 20 PSI because you're basically running it off the choke line, Um, you're going to load up that thrust bearing and it's going to fail. And that's something in the case of ball brain turbochargers, it's kind of hard to say just how much higher their load handling capability is because with a gas stand, it's challenging to actually overload it and kind of definitively mark where that point is. But um, ultimately, yeah, the biggest difference is it can take axial loading a lot better. Um, axial is side, uh, like in and out, like thrust, like a thrust yeah. bearing on an engine. It's kind of the same, same yeah. concept. Yeah, um, so
2: side loading, like basically,
3: right? So okay. in, in, the, okay. in, the, in the case of a turbocharger, you know, assuming everything's balanced correctly, you don't really have a lot of radial loads. Like in the case mm-hmm. of a ball bearing turbo, the biggest radial loads you see are, you know, the centrifugal force of the balls getting flung mm-hmm. into the outer race. Um, but oh, again, wow. axial, axial loading is, is much, much better with a ball bearing turbocharger. So, you know, running high boost and things like that, it works well. Um, they also aren't as sensitive to oil supply in terms of pressure and oil flow. Oh, so wow! you don't have a, <clears throat> you know, you don't have an oil film like, like a journal bearing turbocharger. So it's nice. really just, yeah, right. it's, it's lubricating, you know, the bearings have a squeeze film damper, which is like a. a a hydraulic damping of the whole bearing system. Um, But, uh, you know, you don't need to have a huge oil feed line and and you're not going to have issues if this oil film is, um, you know, broken down. Um, So I've actually, I I spent quite a lot of time dealing with that aspect um, on a recent project, which was two-stroke. So it's kind of unusual because you don't have an oil pump and you don't have, you know, abundance of, of oil pressure. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was interesting to kind of see just how far you could go down the sort of reducing oil flow path and uh, and still have good durability with with ball bearing, whereas you know if you try to do that with journal bearing, it's it's not gonna not gonna work out well. Um, and then um opposite to that, in the case of you know journal bearing turbos, they are good in cases where you have oil particulate and, you know, maybe oil quality issues, like for instance, a diesel application where you're going to have, you know, whatever sort of particulate, maybe from the, from the fuel that gets in the oil and, you know, other abrasive sort of things. Um, A lot of the time, you know, in a journal bearing turbo, you can have some scoring, but it doesn't necessarily bring it down. Whereas, you know, a ball bearing turbocharger, if you start getting any particulate into it, it's going to, you know, cause issues much faster. So again, it's another sort of application thing where, the right bearing system kind of depends. However, um, in terms of frictional losses and response, it's generally not as drastic as a lot of people seem to assume.
1: And what about uh, linked to these, like oil versus water? They both require both?
3: Yeah, that's, that's another tough one. I don't think you'll find any OEM-based turbo manufacturers who will turn down water cooling and it just it it works especially in a ball bearing turbocharger because the amount of oil flow is so much reduced compared to journal bearing you you do need something else to get rid of of that heat you know because on the one side of the turbo you're going to have you know as high as a thousand celsius and obviously you have you know that that coupling between the turbine and the bearing housing the turbine head itself is also, you know, a similar temperature. So, heat transfers through the shaft into the bearing system. And under normal operation and steady state conditions, it's, you know, one thing. You still have oil flow and, and airflow that's moving, moving heat out of the system. But when it comes to like hot shutdowns, for instance, yeah, you can you can really nuke things. You know, we've we've done tests with thermocouples and things like that in the bearing housing where, you know, you have a steady state oil and, and coolant flow. And, you know, your temps might be 200, 250 Celsius, and then it shuts down and, and you just watch the heat soak where, you know, you've, you've literally got temperatures over 400 Celsius in some cases in your, in your bearing housing while it's sitting there. And once that happens and you have no coolant jacket to basically wick away, um, heat and, and, you know, especially in the case of OEM engine applications where you have thermosiphoning designed into the whole system, you can have... Hundreds of degrees Celsius mm-hmm. difference in in temperature in the bearing system once you shut it down, with and, and without uh, without oil cooling or sorry water cooling I should say of course, <laughs> um, and that's one thing like ter- like just going back to Gerard's S300 for instance, those are oil cooled you know those all came out of the diesel world yeah you know, years ago, um, you know originally made by Switzer um, before Borg Warner bought them and anyways they work very, very well. Um, they're very durable in, in gasoline applications, but without water cooling, you know, it is kind of initially designed for diesel where you might have a 600 and 650 degrees Celsius exhaust temp. So if you, you know, drift them um, and and kind of do a do a big run and just pull into the pits and shut it off, you you notice it pretty quickly. Like we've definitely had turbos come apart and you know the turbine side journal bearing is literally black and and the shaft is discolored. Mm -hmm. you know, all the way through it. Um, And those are things that uh, can be a problem without water cooling if you're, you know, kind of abusing it or or shutting it down hot. So So, water cooling is just more durable just for
2: like the everyday kind of, that's why every auto manufacturer, because like obviously Joe Schmo driving a turbocharged car isn't going to be like, oh, let me cool it down with my turbo timer. He just, you know, goes for a rim, yeah. fucking to 7 Eleven, grabs a Slurpee,
3: comes home, shuts it off, and watches a movie. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's it. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it, it, in a way, it's sort of like a blow off valve. You know, do you need a blow off valve every single time you turbocharge your car? No. Is it going to extend the life of your turbocharger substantially? And in the case of OEMs where you got to do, you know, DFMEAs and any other sort of like, um, validation of of the design you you have to kind of include Mm -hmm. these things just for Mm -hmm. the ultimate durability and you know trying to just rule out any potential failure modes that you might be dealing with down the road so it it depends but again if you're doing if you're drag racing you know forget it (laughs) you're going to be you're going to be doing a burnout and then you know six to whatever 14 seconds worth of wide open throttle depending on how shitty your car is <laughs> and <laughs> then uh yeah you shut it down so in that case you know forget it Oil cooling's not or water cooling's not worth it but uh yeah yeah if you're trying to get a hundred thousand k out of your turbo it's it's going to make a big difference yeah so
2: explain to me something chris what the fuck makes the su-2-2 noise <laughs>
3: uh <laughs> yeah that's that's compressor search um and is that a good
2: thing, thing or a bad thing
3: uh it's always a bad thing but sometimes necessary so um that's another one of my pet peeves that you've now kind of uh, highlighted here for me um you know when people compressor say surge, stu stew
1: stew well no that that's that's one
3: thing i mean you can everyone likes a little bit of you know stew 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 whatever but um people think that uh you know compressor surge is is a lot of things that it completely isn't you know people are like oh when that happens your turbo spinning backwards and <laughs> that's completely not true. That's so that's never, not true.
2: So the term is not spinning backwards. Okay, It okay. doesn't Thanks. spin
3: backwards. Where where that comes from? I bet is, um, you know, the flow. You you have flow reversion, and that's what you're you're kind of hearing. So basically, you're having sort of a sort of cyclic reversion of airflow through the compressor, which is making that sound, um, which is known as surge. And um, you know, regardless, you're you're not spinning the thing backwards. Um, people also think that. You know they can put an anti-surge housing on their turbo, which is another term that doesn't make any actual factual sense um, and you know everyone's like, oh, I don't need a bluff all right because I have an anti-surge housing and it's like, yeah, not really. that's not not what that means. Um, but yeah, compressor surge is bad distinctively it's- what does it do like what's what's bad about it so when you when you have compressor surge and um I was kind of lucky enough to, I, I spent three years managing a department in a turbo company where we had hot gas test stands. So, you know, creating compressor and turbine maps. Anyways, you end up hitting surge at the end of each speed line to define, you know, the minimum flow of, of that operating line. And so you you hear and you feel the compressor surge, you know, pulsating the entire room realistically um, because it's so so sort of drastic. And basically what's happening is, as that reversion is happening, the entire bearing system is getting loaded back and forth. So um, in the case of, you know, most most applications, you should have pretty close to even pressure in the compressor and turbine. Mm -hmm. And those those sort of absolute pressures are gonna act on each side of the turbo to force it one way or the other. And then when you have reversion in the case of surge, it's gonna basically push it one way and the other, you know, in an axial fashion, and with you know journal bearing turbos in, in particular, you're gonna likely have thrust bearing issues, but not always. Um, but ultimately again, it's not a very good thing to have that kind of forces and and uh rapid unloading and loading of, of the thrust assembly in in any turbocharger.
2: Is it is it sort of like wheel hop to an axle? Like basically it's the same, like as far as the loads go, where it's like on off, on off, like you know, yeah, if you're, you could, if
3: you're, yeah, you could say that. You know, what you load up in a static condition would be maybe less destructive than than the sort of repetitive cycling in the same yeah. way as as wheel hop, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: So, so like, what to 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 get rid of the C two, 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 two? You just obviously put a blow off valve on the thing, right?
3: Yeah that's that's the the <laughs> typical way to do it. Yeah. But it's it's interesting though there is there is late model cars that uh will do it with throttle mapping. So, you know, they they won't have a factory blow off valve but um you know as you command a quick lift of the throttle or something yeah it can it can basically, you know, s- split the actual throttle position from the throttle position or sorry throttle position and pedal position obviously and then oh so it's blowing off through the yeah, throttle so plate it's it's, it's basically it's it's no it's just closing the throttle slow enough that it, it keeps the compressor off of surge because basically what surge is fundamentally if you have a compressor you know providing airflow and pressure at the outlet and you restrict that flow mm-hmm. um it's gonna you know it's gonna try to basically keep forcing air through its its outlet until it gets to a point where you just can't you can't move any more airflow through there so um the flow breaks down in the compressor and ultimately if you were to you know get off the throttle with no blow off valve slowly enough you can maintain the operating point sort of uh. right right of the surge line and um and not necessarily need it but um it can, it can, it can kind of give a a, a run on feeling to the. Yeah, to I was going to say,
2: how would that feel? Yeah. Must must be really. Weird yeah, it's and... it's not necessarily. What, what cars thing. have that?
3: Uh, the later versions of Mini Cooper, <laughs> um, a real, a real high performance vehicle. Although I will say that uh, we do make some some products for the Cooper S, and and one of our partners, um, that is known as RPM Power, has made some pretty hilarious power out of their. Mini, mini, mini cooper yeah like you know 450 wheel horsepower out of some little 1.6 liter thing. yeah i was gonna say aren't they small
2: like 1.6 <laughs> that's crazy they're, they're
3: small and they're actually heavy the vehicles are heavy too um but uh yeah anyways um it's it's one sort of strategy to try to get away from having a blow-off valve in in some applications
1: what about a ported shroud is that snake oil
3: no, that's that's the that's the correct terminology for a anti surge housing. So that's one oh, okay. of my uh, one of my focuses, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um,
2: is that kind of like the HKS T fifty one R mod type of thing? Is that
3: Yeah, that's that's one way of doing it. Um, so that is is another kind of funny topic because, <laughs> of course, nowadays that's another very sort of frequent request nowadays um, because. As most people know, you know HKS had this turbo a very long time ago called the T51R, and it was you know like extremely expensive and very cool looking and and made a lot of power. It's basically you know like a, a rebranded GT42 with you know a little bit different trim, and they had a two-piece insert on the on the compressor, and the way the ported shroud was designed, it it you know because it was two-piece, they kind of had to have little supports that. That give it a little groove, um, you know. Whereas normally it's sort of annular and you have a a, a clear groove or cut for for the recirculation in the ported shroud. This thing had these big kind of blocky uh, supports, and the sort of probably unintended side effect was that it made a lot of noise. So they sound <laughs> like jets basically, um, and uh, sound really sick. You mean they, they do sound sick? <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely you know. Um, the novelty's worn off for me a little bit cause we've been doing it for a very long time, but yeah. you know, it is, it is pretty cool. And, and, um, in any case, that's one method of, of, you know, kind of designing a ported shroud, um, but not <clears throat> particularly a performance focused one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but we've, we've kind of spent a lot of time over the years experimenting with, with different features and, and aspects and ways of, of porting a compressor shroud and, uh, you know, we've definitely seen some pretty impressive results in terms of, you know, compressor map width. And, um, you know, when you start, you know, getting into some different sort of geometry, which frankly, you know, most of the, of the recent generation of turbos have this technology um, in one, one way or another, but, you know, you can basically use it to, you know, move and 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 adjust the surge line to some degree where you're sort of increasing your flow rate to the, um, lower flow regions of, of operation and you can also actually um, bypass the inducer with with different sort of ported portage geometries and actually affect the choke line of the map as well which is um, kind That's of interesting cool. and most people expect it to be you know solely related to surge and you know 20-30 years ago it was really focused on on changing surge characteristics but you know not not getting rid of it altogether by any means but you know trying to avoid it as much as possible and then um, you know, later more current generations of turbochargers will actually increase. Yeah. The actual maximum flow rate of the compressor to some degree. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of other sort of sneaky ways you can, you know, try to get around inducer limits on different class classes of racing and, and things like that with, uh, with ported trout designs. So
2: what is a choke line?
3: So a choke line, if, if you were you know, visualizing a compressor map um, on the right side is is you know the sort of higher flowing side of the map um, is defined by a choke line. So, in most cases, you know, every company will kind of define their own uh, criteria for choke. But generally speaking, it, it represents um, a, a compressor efficiency value of fifty five percent. So that is just a kind of an arbitrary number where, you know, below 55% efficiency, it's not really usable airflow. So at that point, you know, you kind of say, okay, that's capping us at the, at the high flow side of the map Um, and that's known as the the choke line. And then on the, on the, the left side of the map is, is the surge line. So in between those two sort of bookends is kind of the entirety of your, your compressor performance. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. What about uh, what what about what about Ryan? What about Ryan?
0: <laughs> what about Ryan? Um, hey, I was wondering. So you're real smart, like a scientist, like I said, Scram. <laughs> um, how and we said like you. There's all these people watching YouTube, and they show up and they're like, "Well, I've watched ten thousand hours of YouTube, so I'm equally as smart," which they probably are not. So. I'm not going to speak for everyone because I don't know, but how does where would you direct someone to go to even get like just a sliver of the knowledge?
2: That like the correct knowledge.
3: like yeah, yeah, the correct knowledge. Yeah, correct knowledge. That's a very good question, um, and it's kind of hard for me to answer because
2: you don't watch YouTube.
3: Do. Well, kidding. well, not I, I actually don't end up watching a lot of YouTube, but I find that what interests me and what I find to be really um, informative and interesting is kind of boring and not very useful to most people. So um, I haven't really found much for like kind of beginner level information out there that, uh, that it's really helpful to be completely honest. Um, (laughs) So that means you should start a YouTube channel. That's what it means. I I guess. And there'd be like, you know, 15 or 20 people who are like, Oh, this is really cool. And everyone else is going to be like, uh, boring, more (laughs) stew, stew, stew. Yo, so, and less bro bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Horse, bro bro yeah 800 yeah. <laughs> horse bro yeah less math why
1: are you giving me so much math man yeah <laughs> exactly. like a lot of numbers and stuff
2: yo is the g30
3: better or uh yo well, that's the new g30 right <laughs> yeah exactly and i think even <laughs> just on that on that topic as far as g30 i think a lot of the marketing now especially in terms of garrett where they're they're rating it or, or the actual name of the turbo is based on the horsepower rating. They're almost trying to like, pander even further to you know people who don't Gross. really know what they're talking about because they're like, I don't want to hear these numbers, eighty-three seventy-four. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, yeah, give me the max power number. That's what I want to know. I want it now. Nine hundred. <laughs> let's go. I'm gonna build my order in three years. It's gonna be perfect. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent, man. Yeah. I mean, we, hey, it's funny, though. Hey, you guys just, told
1: me people no, don't no, build no.
0: cars like that anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, then you fun- know what happened? Be like, yo, I sold the car. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. exactly
0: what it is. Or uh, they're like, yo, I don't like
2: this clutch. Can we get that other clutch again? And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Here's another flywheel for $700 and another clutch for $600. Like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. By the way, it needs a different release bearing. So, yeah, like the same thing. Maybe you just get a dude. He's like, yo, this turbo's fucking garbage. You're like, well, actually, no. I told you not to buy that turbo or i told you this turbo would be better suited for your needs currently uh so yeah. here's the bill for another two grand and by the way that doesn't fit your t4 but i mean so. like you,
1: you try and do that in the beginning like we've done i've done that before yeah, too. Sure. A like customers, you know the, the customer is trying to buy like a bunch of stuff that they don't need and you're like yo 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 like i appreciate you wanting to spend that much money but like yeah. you don't need that and you don't want that you know they're they're yeah. obviously way happier in the end you know
2: yeah, we just yeah. saw the cool shit. We just saw him an OS Deacon and we are like, yeah, this is exactly what you need, bro. 100% yeah. OS Deacon, that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. you don't need that ACT shit or that and shit. Just get the OS. Carbon, so whatever carbon, I have what on
0: that W58. The um, <laughs> so there's no way to become scrub. There's like, there's <laughs> it's like you're essentially a superhero story and it's like yeah. a one-off. He's a turbo you know, superhero. Like, like
3: the flash in the lab, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know about that. There's definitely. I think it's. It's a regional thing. You probably won't find a lot of people in Canada with a lot of really technical um, knowledge. Technical knowledge of turbocharging, but of course in the States and even in Europe too. Like Europe really got to, you know, OEM factory turbocharged oh, yeah. cars in volume much faster than North America. Like even ten years ago, I think it was something like fifty percent of. the, of cars on the road were, were turbocharged so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of you know consultancy firms and whatever germany or, or austria and places like that where F Alterbach. yeah exactly they, they've got a lot of a lot Let's more talk experience amg
2: how about that new uh that <laughs> no, new a, a45 eh, with the 420 horse two liter stock like with yeah. two
3: sets of injectors like what the fuck that's crazy yeah not bad that, that one's still front-wheel drive, though, isn't it? No, it's all-wheel drive,
2: and it's, oh, really? it's yeah, up to 50% of the power uh, to the back, and up to and 100% of the power to each rear wheel of uh, the, of oh, the well, 50%. Well. You're, nice. you're
0: asking leading questions. First, you should ask Scram what he thinks of the new Corolla. <laughs> All
3: right. Yeah. I mean, th- the funny thing is, like I was, I guess, implying earlier, Toyota, for me, obviously, they make some fantastic engines and high-performance stuff, but it's like it's kind of a commuter brand <laughs> in my world. Yep. So the, the Corolla is—it looks pretty fucking sweet. You know, um, that three-cylinder looks pretty awesome. Uh, I probably won't be buying one myself unless my poor Prius croaks and I come across seventy-five thousand dollars that I don't need or whatever it costs. Right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Like they—they they look like they're so expensive.
3: Yeah. And but for seventy-five K, cool would you want a Corolla? I mean well I mean, that's that's the thing. They look, I mean they look the late model Toyotas do look pretty uh pretty cool. I have to give them that. Um but yeah, I, I guess maybe I'm kind of like Gerard in that when I think of or fantasize about spending fifty thousand or sixty or seventy thousand on, dollars on a car, um it would probably be German, as much as I hate to admit it, and as much as I should have learned that lesson. Um yeah.
0: All but right you <laughs> i'm Um, gonna keep using kevin's mentality and just you spend fifty thousand dollars on like 50 cars on 50 cars yeah (laughs) yeah
3: (laughs) Yeah. quantity over so are we gonna turbocharge the prius or no you know the like like uh, yeah probably not but you never know if uh if I end up starting my own YouTube channel, that'll be the first the first video. <laughs> Dude, that'd be sick. Yeah, and charge Prius? a 50-year-old Prius. Yeah.
1: For, whistling yeah, Spectrum.
3: Exactly. <laughs> now we're driving off a cliff. Yeah. And next thing you know, banned from YouTube. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. No. Yeah, we'll, what uh, What, what happened to those batmo wheels? oh the Batmobile yeah what happened to that the fuck is a Batmobile uh, that was supposed to be like
1: the the newest best thing in turbo technology like five years ago and now like now you never hear (laughs) about it
3: it's it's a really hilarious like swoopy inducer that a certain company came out with and I swear some guy was probably you know flying somewhere and looked in the looked in the engine of the plane was like oh that's got like a bit of a shape to it like i'm gonna apply this amazing aerospace technology to my fucking diesel turbo and uh yeah uh i love your you know, talk. i don't know what happened or where what happened to it but i don't, I don't really see him around anymore but my rule of thumb is if you have one random small company doing something completely you know, supposedly revolutionary and completely unique with no reasonable patent and all the other big companies with <coughs> millions of dollars for the budgets and all the CFD capabilities in the world are not doing that. Aren't stealing it. And yeah, you're it probably themselves. the outlier and you're probably yeah. just, you know, a snake. Probably a reason. A snake. Oil.
2: So do you have a favorite turbo brand? I mean, like you make turbos. Are your turbos based
1: off of another? Like, Yeah, do you compete f- with Garrett and
3: I mean uh, in a sense board I mean, Warner, to, to and... be honest I will admit that uh, you know if you're looking at you know peak efficiency you just simply cannot compete with companies that have a warehouse full of computers that can run CFD and optimize and whatever else so I definitely respect those companies um, however what we try to specialize in and, and where we get the results is um, again, just sizing things perfectly. You know, if you, if you have the right sizing and your efficiency is spread out properly over a power band and, and getting all the results out of it, um, you know, to a driver, it can seem like it's the most efficient and, and best turbo on the planet. When, you know, if you were just kind of bench racing compressor, mop, compressor maps, it's, it's probably not going to be as, as clear cut. Um, but yeah, and to, to your other question, we do. Like most of our turbos are based around Garrett architecture. We started out, you know, kind of modifying them and, and trying different things with bearing systems and, and and that sort of thing. And being a small company, we didn't want to kind of go white sheet with every single thing right off the bat because obviously the cost from that is ex- excessive. And so we try to design around interchangeability of turbine housings and things like that. Um, but nowadays we've, you know, kind of differed quite a bit from from those uh sort of existing generations and um we're actually kind of getting into the point now we've got kind of new new bearing retention methods and um you know completely unique bearing housings and, and compressor volutes and, and things like that that have been kind of designed from scratch and cool and some of that fun stuff um but you know full disclosure you know blade arrow optimization is a very challenging thing. And we, uh, you know, we focus on areas of turbocharging that, you know, gets better results and, and areas that we can be, um, you know, a little a little more uh, focused on. And then, Yeah,
2: that's interesting, because your 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 company name is Spectrum Motorsport Solutions, which actually makes a lot of sense when you say it like how you what, what you just said, because Garrett sells turbos, you sell Like a combination, like or you you sell like a a solution essentially. Solution, yeah. Yeah. You're you're trying to like your your product is the the outcome of what this customer. You know what I mean? Like is 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 required.
3: Yeah, you're selling
2: him the the perfect combo, and
3: that is that is a goal. And and you know nowadays I know it's maybe it's kind of cliche. There's lots of every market or business has some sort of solution in their name. So it's not exactly novel. But um that was definitely kind of the concept originally.
1: So you're um, an artisanal turbo company, bro. Yeah.
3: We've we've been, we've been called all <laughs> small also some, batch, local, yeah, organic bo- grown boutique turbos. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Boutique
2: turbo um,
3: systems. Yeah. But uh anyways, yeah. And, and obviously well maybe not obviously, but originally we were also trying to maintain some ambiguity to the business. Um lest we be uh approached with various not right aspects yeah. of things so um but anyways it's one of these things where i don't even necessarily love the name i got 50 million other things to worry about and uh <laughs> it'll do <laughs> but yeah that yeah. was at least the initial idea mm-hmm. that's a pretty chill name yeah, it could yeah. Be worse.
0: could be worse could call your brand like a bird in a sense of reason
3: yeah. Nobody knows what you
1: do. Hey, Dominic was, loving, Dom, Dominic was loving my shirt today.
0: Oh, was he?
3: Yeah. Good. Oh, the dodo left. Okay, <laughs> that, Gerard. That, that I was, didn't get that either. I did either I'm sorry. That's really embarrassing. Now, <laughs> bird yeah. and a
0: sense of reason or <laughs> logic.
3: I I still kind of think of a dodo as more of like a. It's like a land animal. It's kind of a kangaroo with wings. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Know.
3: Maybe not. It's like a small. I think unit. they're all. <laughs> yeah, they're
0: all dead. Is I think the point of that, isn't it? Yes. So the, that's, they had that's no logic, you guys. Kind like uh, of. I got another. I car. got
1: another snake oil question.
3: Woo! <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. Oilless turbos. I was just gonna ask that. Oh man. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's weird because it's not I mean, like if you don't, it's called oil less. Uh, all yeah. all I will say is, uh, you know, most turbochargers mid frame, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be spinning it up to 150,000 RPM very easily, and it's just not the right place for grease. And <laughs> this is another one of these places or, or one of these ideas where, if only one company yeah. or, or a handful of companies is doing it. You know, no one likes the effort of water cooling and oil supply and all these other pains. It's in like the Tesla, ass bro. Nobody
1: on. was doing electric cars until one company just came out and did it, man. Someone's got to be oh, the
3: first, always. Yeah, bro. you're a just you're just a boomer, man. You you're it. like you're an early <laughs> adapter, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I definitely, like I was saying before, i I've, I've, I've had a lot of recent experience with extremely low oil flow rates, but. I have to draw the line at grease nipple. That's all I'm going to say.
2: So how, you know, like the grease gun between these... laps? And, yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> the
2: you only have to change it every like it's supposed to be only every I don't even know how many five thousand k or something like with an oil change. That's unbelievable. Like,
3: yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's it seems like the the applications and the kits that work best with those are kind of remote mount.
4: And, yeah, I was going to you know, say. Yeah,
3: if, if you have it that far away, you know, you might be, you know, down two or 300 Celsius in terms of temperatures. So that's going to help, you know, air cooled. I, I just, I, I don't, you know, fundamentally where yeah. is this heat supposed to go? Like you have no yeah. oil supply. You have no cooling, whatever this airflow concept is really can't equate to much more than a boost leak um, <laughs> blowing through your bearing. I don't even know. I haven't seen it in person, but um, I was gonna say because like suspicious, yeah, I, was at, I think is how I describe it.
2: I was looking at them for like the basically you know G thirty five three fifty Z and stuff because they place the turbo yeah. beside the transmission, which is an interesting place for a turbo. Yeah, um, but yeah, like in that situation, it would be extremely difficult to get oil uh, to drain. And then, I mean, I guess you'd have to have Scavenge like a little pump. a little sump yeah. and then a little pump, and then. But that would, I guess, be the way to do it. Just run that same sort of situation. But
3: yeah, and in that case, you know, oilless is definitely a plus. Packaging is great. Mm-hmm. I've definitely had numerous cases I can think of where someone's, you know, been like, "Oh, my turbo's leaking," and you know, it needs to be rebuilt. And then they bring it to you, and you pull it apart, and you're like, "This thing is fine." You know, something else is going on. And sure enough, they've got some ridiculous turbo placement. And actually, in, in the case of a 370Z uh specifically you know comes to mind where it was so poor like there's no way it's ever going to drain out of here and ultimately you know even even having a scavenge pump when you have it you know above the turbo and pulling it mm-hmm. some crazy line is, is just not going to work and you know it's it's a pain in the ass and like i said my my own turbo is remote mounted um to an extent and you know it has to have a scavenge pump and all that other kind of annoying well, what stuff. pump do you run
2: what kind of pump do you run
3: uh, it's, it's MoCal.
2: It's a MoCal, like a, a specific
3: oil pump. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's like a gearator pump. Like they have a oh, wow. kind of a di- a diaphragm pump for like diffs and stuff. And then they have a, you know, kind of a gearator one.
2: So sort they of have, actually like an, like an oil pump on an engine almost.
3: Yeah, pr- pretty much. It's, it's wow. electric, of course. Um, and how big is it? Like inches? Wise. It's, it's not that big. There's, they have two different sizes. It's probably, you know, a two inch diameter and it's maybe five inches long. Um, Holy shit. With, with so like it looks water. like a
2: fuel pump almost
3: yeah it's a kind of a big-ass fuel pump and actually i it's in my case it's it's triggered by um you know it's on its own relay but the trigger comes from the fuel pump relay so anytime your your fuel pump is activated this this pump turb- is activated oh wow and it'll so when you when it primes it'll you know start for a couple seconds to kind of evacuate any oil that might have you know kind of discharged Sat in sitting. There. yeah and so stops it from wanting to you know puff right off the bat but right um, you know that's another thing where again scavenge pump systems are great but they're also really easy to fuck up and um for me actually uh just just to be truthful i did fuck it up to start um by using a kind of off-brand pump yeah um and it totally came apart and pumped a bunch of brass through my f- engine and uh <laughs> is that why you had to rebuild the fucking that engine? was well that was one of the reasons and oh damn yeah so I, I don't know for sure and it was one of these things where like my oil pan was leaking so I like pulled it off and you know the motor was when I got it it was like out of a 2009 um, Titan QX56 and it had like 30,000k so it was all like it was a really good stock motor and I had it in for a season and the oil pan was leaking so I pull it off and I'm like oh I'll just have a look at a rod bearing you know kind of stupid call but uh you know then it's like oh this doesn't look very good it looks like it's kind of pumped some stuff through it and tried to figure out what was going on and sure enough i pulled the pump apart and it was kind of all come apart and, and damaged and uh yeah um awesome. very easy to contaminate oil which was oil pumps. engine and all <laughs> this other complexity um because as, as stupid and complicated as my car is i do understand the kind of keep it simple stupid mentality and you know in competition it's important and this is exactly why because you add more systems and more components yeah. and more things to go wrong um and in this case some you know I at the time again this was years ago i was probably like oh i can save a hundred dollars by not buying yeah. a mocal Mo- one <laughs> and uh yeah
2: 100 um, turns into fucking three grand yeah, yeah exactly. exactly it was
3: definitely any years of you know because it yeah. was like find some custom-made pistons and rods and then you put them in and balance everything and the fucking thing hits the block and you're like oh crap take it all back apart clearance the block put it back together anyways yeah <laughs> i don't they even want know to get time for that no exactly so i i can't even remember the name of that original pump but if you're gonna use a scavenge pump take it from me don't skimp out or you can also be wasting all your time and money yeah
2: <laughs> so, would a filter would have a filter have helped that? like from the like what size lines do you run from the from the scavenge to the
3: so because this one is ball bearing it's really doesn't take a lot of oil flow so i have like a, a stainless uh dash three hard line feeding it okay and then i have a a dash 10 drain and it's kind of got some Goofy setup where you know, because it's remote mounted. So I have it, the oil drain is integrated into the roll cage, like supplemental bracing. So I have this. I don't know, <laughs> of call course it like, is. It's probably like dash 12 into the scavenge pump, and then it just has a dash eight up up from that point for the okay, that's still pretty big. Discharge uh, size. Yeah.
2: So if you would have had a filter between there, would that have helped the motor, like out of the scavenge pump before the back to the motor? <sighs>
3: it sh- certainly wouldn't have hurt um <laughs> you know again this is also kind of a theory of mine because on the other hand too you know this at the time when i did this it was like you know the first time i had really made that complicated of an oil pan and you know yeah. i could have theoretically left some other shit in there and at least with my own car i find that i'm always like you know working in the industry as soon as i'm working on my own car i'm like it's like my one chance to be like ah fucking good enough like you'll do yeah. <laughs> you'll do <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah. anyways that my theory is the oil pump i mean it definitely was failed and you know you'd hope the oil pump would would catch most of it but uh it was at least a contributing factor i'd say Damn. but uh yeah not not what you want
2: so sorry i think i asked the question earlier but i think we got talking on but do you have a favorite brand of turbo besides oh, yeah. your own
3: you know it would kind of be a toss-up between Garrett and Borg Warner. So, I, I understanding at least a fraction of of what goes into OEM level turbo engineering and the the difficulty of designing a turbo that has to do all these things that are required of it in this day and age and last for a hundred thousand plus kilometers. And you know, in the case of a lot of late model cars, you know, just as an anecdote, I I had a BMW like rental car at one point. And I drove it for a day and I actually didn't even realize it was turbocharged. It was like a three series, whatever, like base model sort of thing. And anyways, I was extremely impressed. Like this is so linear and the drivability and everything is so well engineered that I, as a person who does almost nothing but turbos, I didn't know it was turbocharged. (laughs) So anyways, that being out being able to do that um, really, I think, puts you at a, uh, you know, a serious advantage in turbocharger. Um, and what turbos
2: do do BMWs run?
3: Uh, it kind of depends. I mean, like most automakers, they're kind of dual sourcing, and some of them are uh. IHI, some of them are MHI. There's definitely a lot of Borg Warner's, um, but they're kind of all over the place. But oh wow. Um, anyways, in the case of Garrett and Borg Warner, I think they're definitely um, the best engineered products um, mm-hmm. overall, and you know, of course, they probably. Um, it's no coincidence that they have the highest R and D and development budgets of any turbo manufacturers, Yeah, or, you know, they get what they pay for. But, um, you know, it's interesting cause they have different approaches and different methodologies, yeah, for sure. um, but are able to get the same effect in, in most cases. And, um, it's interesting to just look at them side by side, you know, obviously companies of that nature, they're not, uh, they're not copying each other necessarily either. They're, you know, drastically different compressor trims Mm -hmm. and blade counts and sizes and they're able to get similar results and and similar performance out of um you know two different units that don't really share a lot in terms of you know a lot of the features
2: and then so a company like precision you had mentioned precision do they actually manufacture turbos or do they modify existing turbos
3: yeah they they definitely started modifying garrett turbos Mm -hmm. Uh, a long time ago they have been around for a long time um and then i think they ended up kind of getting the boot when they they probably got too big and um you know garrett decided selling them parts wasn't in their business interest yeah Uh, they do yeah they manufacture a lot of it in indiana um <clears throat> and they are, you know, to give them credit, they're on some of the fastest vehicles on the planet, you know, in terms of drag racing and...
2: Yeah. But that can just racing. be a sponsored thing and stuff too though, right?
3: Well, they're, they're good at what they do, but it's, again, it's, it's a, it's a different... I mean, still, approach. the product still got to work, right? It, it does. Like yeah. they, they had, you know, there's, I think in, in years past, there was, you know, maybe some quality issues that kind of hurt the reputation for a bit, but a lot of it's very good nowadays. Um, but. It's an approach thing. Like for instance, if you went to Garrett and you were like, oh, excuse me, uh, Garrett applications engineer, I want to run 75 pounds of boost. They'd be like, You need two stages of compression. Whereas precision's like, let's do it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and that's why now, you know, if you've if you've seen their ProMod turbos, you know, they have literal containment jackets around the compressors. Um, and you know, the housings are containment tested because they're just doing things that Um, nobody else is doing a lot of people would would like you know a big corporation they'd be like oh this is a huge risk we don't want to have you know turbine wheels flying out you know during drag racing because you know this got 700 meters per second tip speed and hit some guy in the head they're like (laughs) you know well whereas if if you're in a industry or, or a sort of space with with high performance where it's like we have restrictions you know class restrictions inducer size whatever the only way to be competitive is to literally wring this thing's neck every single time. Um, and anyways, they're, they're, they're good at at that sort of thing. And that's pretty cool. A lot of people, you know, whether it's GTRs or, um, any sort of drag racing, you know, most of the people running 70, 80, 90 PSI through a single compressor, they're usually precisions. So, um, you got to give them that. And, uh, Again, like I said, some of the fastest vehicles on the planet use them, um, but I just maybe I don't appreciate that approach quite as much as yeah. as much as it is kind of their specialty.
4: Oh,
3: cool. Yeah. Um,
2: and then what about like do those other like Japanese companies, for example, like Blitz and HKS and Greddy? Like, do they still even make turbos in that? And they obviously yeah. use other people's turbos.
3: Yeah, they definitely. Um, they kind of have turbo vendors in most cases i Mm -hmm. think hks as far as the japanese brands like they definitely in my opinion do the most legitimate engineering Mm -hmm. um so they've kind of had you know back in the 90s they were mostly garrett um you know base cartridges and so they you know try out a few different wheel combinations or sizes or even cast their own housings and you know apply it to certain application you know and then the last five or six years they've been using mhi so they've you know kind of gone to some journal bearing mitsubishi based turbochargers which are still very good and now they're switching back to you know some g-series based yeah ball bearing stuff and Hmm. you know there's a couple of other brands like you know greddy and and tomei are kind of you know questionable in my opinion like a lot (laughs) of the time they're based off you know, TDO fives or whatever it is. And like super old technology, they're old technology and they're generally very large. So response wise are usually not very good and they haven't really put a lot of effort into it. And so they've kind of been left behind in, in a lot of cases and it's kind of worked well for us because even in the case of, you know, GTRs and RB26s, for instance, you kind of either get a Japanese kit from Gretti or, you know, um, hks or whoever that's 20 years old and it kind of sucks but it's still really expensive or you got to buy like you know a manifold from one guy in the states and then a turbo and kind of piece it together yourself whereas we've kind of got the middle ground in a way where you can you know kind of use something more modern we have a lot of different options we can build around any modern turbo but you get kind of a whole package mm-hmm. um, it
1: sounds like the value principle of your company similar to ours it's like yeah. You know, like I would say that it's, you know, it's not quite as expensive as the crazy Japanese stuff, but like it's it offers all of the same value or all mm-hmm. the same functions, but
3: yeah, exactly. And I think that's a, a good place to be in my opinion um, because, you know, you don't want to be competing solely on price, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. you also don't want to be like only selling to the one guy who's got $20,000 burning in yeah. his pocket for just the best of the best, just sort of, spend money almost as the objective right so yeah. there's there's a sweet spot i think
2: but also i feel like you you offer a lot of like innovation and and uh sort of um like your, your your systems and your your products are very dynamic and they're not just like oh you know turbo a turbo b it's like like you said like you could use this manifold but you have your own kit that you sort of like uh like engineered or sorry I mean you can use this turbo or that turbo but like it's yeah. it is tailored to the to the user.
3: Yeah uh, for sure we we try to we try to do that and that's another sort of um you know maybe not the best business decision overall to be you know spending too much time sort of tinkering and developing I mean maybe right now it's not the
2: best but I mean if if that you know like I like a lot of your stuff is on some some fairly well known or like relatively well-known cars, especially in those spaces, like the GTRs, a lot of like the, you know, the, the RB guys, uh, and even the SR guys are, are, are touting, you know, spectrum turbos and, and saying, Hey, these are dope. And this, these systems that they have are dope. These, these sort of bolt on kits are pretty dope.
3: Yeah. It's, it's kind of been a word of mouth thing for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because we have people, you know, we, we, we don't, advertise a lot it's i'm really not good at it you know marketing and social media and all that sort of stuff is is not uh getting the focus it, it probably should but um we've we've done a lot of stuff especially in the states and, and we hear stories all the time of like you know someone messaged me last week um kevin from from evolution was like oh I was in New York and I was just looking for cars and I see some like GTR for sale and it's got like your entire like single kit and intercooler (laughs) like what the fuck you know it's kind of weird being you know we're not a huge company and Uh you know being from where we're from is not easy and and good for uh you know getting out there in the industry but you know we've done done pretty well in that regard um considering
2: there might be that novelty thing too. I mean, uh, Serial is like a bit of that too. It's like a yep. kind of underground, but like kind of cool. Some people are really super like devoted to the company once they sort of discover it, and they'll just yeah. like they they just want to eat up
1: everything new you have, right?
3: Yeah, it's like if it's like if you know, you know, type situation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's
1: just like oh, you got yeah. you got that HKS. Well, I got some shit you never even heard of.
2: Yeah, yeah. for sure.
1: Custom take yeah. welded, you know, one off this like inducer wheel size specifically to this vehicle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're not yeah. getting that. You're not getting that from the big guys.
3: No, yeah, no yeah. doubt. I mean, we also have had this, you know, stupid GTR for whatever three years, and it basically sits around as a big rolling fixture. And we just like, you know, we'll, we'll literally be like, okay, you want this kit, this turbo, you know, countless times we've literally made little tweaks to what our normal kit is build it on the car which is just sitting there most of the time with no turbo on it unfortunately and then like ship it off to japan or you know any, anywhere else in the world so it's kind of a unique service in that in that sense that uh you know i, I don't know if there's anyone else you can kind of call up and be like oh i'm gonna i want to you know a bottom mount pro mod like <laughs> you know, RB26 <laughs> kit, except it's actually like it's a 30, so it's taller. And you know, yeah. <laughs> so you got to kind of like piece all these things together. And um you know it's uh I guess a bit a bit unique in that regard.
0: I got a question for everyone, kind of. And you can enlighten me. So Chris, you brought it up uh you said like Tome maybe isn't uh <laughs> keeping up to date on what's going on. They're kind of lagging behind a bit. Um And you have all these things, but there's a scene of like nostalgia. So do yeah. you guys think that there's still people out there that are like, no, I want the Tome kit for my car. It's like all those fucking idiots kit.
2: running DJF power FCs. Yeah. There's, right. there's, out of here.
3: there's a whole, there's a whole nostalgia scene, honestly. And yeah. we started out, I mean, at the beginning, I, I, was kind of silly by just like making everything that anyone ever requested. Like for instance, um, in the SR world, there's like a Gretty mid mount manifold. So it has a very unique sound because it's basically unequal length. It's got two huge long runners and two short ones, but we kept getting requests of like, Oh, can you make me a Gretty mid mount manifold? Because they were all made in the nineties. They were all frankly horrible construction and have cracked like crazy, mm-hmm. but there's this nostalgic desire to have a this following exhaust sound because you know their you know v-opt video they had had you know, some tdo6 with this mid mount manifold or whatever um and so we actually went and you know made that same runner orientation in a conventional fitment just so that people can you know have this very specific sound they heard in a video and um you know try to like modernize it a little bit so it's a it's a really our sort of niche thing but uh yeah it's a very specific request and it's it's risky as a business as well though because people will sit and listen to so many videos online on youtube of this car and they want it to sound like this and they hear some other car and they want it to sound like that and they come to you and they're like it has to sound exactly like this (laughs) and maybe you you know did whatever your portion of it very well and and it is is kind of actually what they want, but then they put some stupid exhaust with a big leak in it or they've changed some other thing that they don't understand. And the worst kind of like, <laughs> you know, complaint or, or quality issue, so to speak, is it doesn't sound like this video I heard on YouTube. Like, <laughs> like, like I, I apologize. Like, I, you know, you want to have, you know, the best customer experience, but you're like, this is kind of a, um, you know, abstract request you've got here. And I don't really know how to like warranty the sound that you thought you were gonna get, you know. It's, so I've uh, this, yeah. By by now, anytime someone sends you a link to a sound, you know. Yeah. As much as I like, I understand why why people focus on that, and it's very important, you know, from a driver enjoyment perspective. But as soon as you're like trying to meet targets that are kind of vague in nature, it's just not worth the undertaking in my that's so crazy it doesn't
2: sound like the youtube video like
3: yeah i only know i've had that i've had that situation like i'm not i'm not lying four to five times Not, not that they were disappointed but like i've literally spent so much time talking about the theoretical sound of their car even though you're only really selling them a very small portion of what of, of the sound the, of
1: the music uh, the wide um, sounds <laughs> you, yeah <laughs> you're selling them one instrument and they're concerned about the song well, it's sort of two
2: exactly. instruments you got the manifold
3: and then the turbo But yeah, yeah but i mean like like it's yeah. not the orchestra you know yeah <laughs> pretty yeah, much yeah. so you're trying to be like the conductor but you got like one fucking trombone guy <laughs> at your command and all the other guys are drunk and they're like oh fucking trombone sucks anyway yeah Yeah. How does the uh, equal length versus non-equal
1: length like affect the like pulse exhaust exhaust pulse and all that?
3: So that's a a factor that I have a lot of sort of you know theoretical knowledge on, but I don't have you know a a really scientific test that we've done that kind of quantifies exactly the effect Um, because we've definitely had are we talking well, for the well, sound or the performance that, of the so. compressor yeah so so sound sound is is a lot more straightforward like the, the more evenly spaced the pulses are you know the more smooth let's say the sound is going to be you know if you have um you know an exhaust manifold that has two runners that are twice as long as the other two for instance um you know this, the spacing of of the pulses as they go into the turbine is going to be kind of chopped up it's going to be kind of uh random almost not random but you know it's not evenly spaced so um yeah you can you can have very drastic differences differences in sound so as far as the performance benefit you know the turbine will like having equally spaced pulses does it matter if they're literally exactly coming into it perfectly it's it's not going to be that critical and you know cylinder count and any number of different things can affect that um, but we like to do it as almost a challenge. So um, you know, most of our exhaust manifolds, unless they're explicitly unequal length, are all equal length. So we came up with a few different ways to do that easily. Like, you know, originally we were kind of you know calculating the volumes of of elbows, you know, and then dividing the number of degrees of, of elbows in a runner by the total volume of an elbow and and then you know, quantifying that against a straight and you know, doing it like that, and then <laughs> anyways um fill it with water well that's yeah we've we filled them with sand you know and then ultimately now it ends up just getting designed in solid work so it's nice and yeah. easy but um it does have an effect on sound and and you know we do care about the way it sounds and and do a lot of effort to and put a lot of effort into making it sound uh sound good but not if that's your only criteria for for buying something you know yeah. um but yeah, I think a lot a lot of it has more to do with volume especially in the case of turbocharging cuz you know you're not going to have um, quite the same sort of scavenging effect <laughs> as as naturally aspirated exhaust manifolds so um you know you do want to turn that pulse energy into you know ultimately shaft power so basically you just want shove to put all in there yeah main, maintain as much velocity and heat and um you know enthalpy as you can and you know putting a big runner on it is is kind of contradicting that uh or contradicting that um approach so yeah
2: i have a question uh long runner manifolds like the basically tubular manifold mm-hmm. versus a short runner let's let's say you know obviously back in the day there was like like the factory log or the factory cast one yeah versus the r like the new stuff which is they're they're not exactly short runner, but they're not they're definitely not long runner. They're they're more of like a like an optimized runner, if you will.
3: Yeah, they're they're not any longer than they need to be, but uh, you know it's not a log necessarily. Either. Yeah,
2: long um, enough to get there smoothly.
3: Yeah, if if you're only worrying about boost threshold and response and you know bottom end torque, you do kind of want to literally design around the lowest volume possible. Mm-hmm. So they're designs and and in general being able to design around casting is going to have a lot less pre-turbine volume so that's almost always good and and that's one of the biggest benefits in, in my opinion is to be able to pull a lot of volume out of a typical manifold mm-hmm. pre pre-turbine and um you know keep keep the energy up but you know from an oem perspective, you know, even the most, you know, high-performance vehicles that, that get sold, they're all really quite compact. And especially nowadays, it's almost getting as-, as Part of the manifold as it or can part be. of the head. Yeah, in a, in a lot of cases, that's, um, you know, part of the head. So um it does, again, depend on what sort of RPM you're trying to make your power at. Um, But generally speaking, not being constrained by, you know, fabrication methods and and components um, is, is going to make pretty much everything better in terms of performance.
2: So the only reason that everyone kind of runs a tubular manifold, well, not everyone now, but like, you know, for the current state of affairs before these new school, art tech manifolds came out. The reason everybody just runs a tubular manifold, because that's the only way to make the air get to the fucking turbo smoothly because you're using tubes.
3: Right. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, yeah. mostly. And and there's a lot of crazy ideas out there for um, manifold design that you could probably spend a whole hour talking about. But um, yeah, functionally, it's it's kind of driven by whatever your capability is. Yeah. And, Put you know, the turbo course, here,
2: but you need to get the air yeah. from there to there. So
3: yeah, you know, I connect connect the dots, basically. Yeah, basically.
2: Yeah. I but guess. We've, yeah. Plus, oh. they look sick.
3: That's why well, I was gonna say that, like,
1: if you're saying that you don't want you want to have a small amount, the smallest amount of volume before the turbo after the yep. head is possible. Uh, obviously, the tubular style is still the most efficient or more efficient way than having less volume before the turbo, but a, like a log style, right? Because you could just like you could just be making tube style manifolds that are basically logs. Yes, that would have a way smaller amount of volume before the turbo
3: that's true but the other you know the other compromise with that is you know you have a lot of dynamic pressure that you have to manage right so for instance if you have a you know conventional back in the day log style you know i, I think people look at exhaust flow as a lot more steady state than it is in actuality you know like your crankshaft has to go around twice for every exhaust valve opening yep. event so what you end up happening is you know one exhaust valve opens it's very explosive it's, yeah you get a little yeah. packet of of exhaust flow and if you have a complete log style manifold with no sort of management of of dynamic pressure you could have it just shoot almost past the turbine and and basically be pointing at you know some other cylinder that's just about to opening and so now you yeah. Have to, yeah some some of that sort of thing so you do need to consider you know managing the, the, the airflow
2: the, out of the engine
3: yeah exactly so that's kind of like um you know the beauty of being able to make a little bit more intricate of a shape mm-hmm. um yeah with, while still you know having a a lot more freedom for for design than you might have if you had some like old cast iron sand cast manifold from from 20 yeah. years ago or whatever but um of course the other benefit is you know the material is good mm-hmm. and um you know welding is easy to kind of mess up and have cracking issues. And I think yeah. a lot of the a lot of the cracking issues in in most cases are somewhat overblown. Um, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had any exhaust manifolds crack in almost six years of, of making them. So it's not, you know, maybe as big of a concern as it gets sold as in, in some cases, you know, especially in R35 world, for instance, everyone's got um cast manifolds for the most part. And i've had a lot of people say like oh you know so-and-so's manifold is is a big runner but it's fabricated so it's going to crack and it's like well it's not that easy either right because everyone had
2: those china ones that are fabricated and they just exactly <laughs> and
3: and the, you know just because someone designs a cast manifold um doesn't mean it won't crack either i mean there's a million yeah. different oem cast manifolds yeah. that crack yeah. but you know it, it depends on how you design it and of course the material is is critical too um in terms of durability because you know there's a lot of different, uh, you know, objectives with designing a part like that, of course.
2: So here's the the question. What do the R-Tech
3: manifolds sound like? You know, that <laughs> is actually probably the biggest uh, question we've got, like on Instagram and stuff like that. Like, I can't wait to hear what it sounds like. Yeah. Because you do have a lot of people who are, um, you know, using that to make their decisions. So I don't know. Like, there's actually um, a couple. You know, YouTubers have have a few variations of them, so you know, people can go and and get a rough idea of what they sound like. Again, don't uh, assume that you're going to copy paste exactly what you know. Set yeah sounds like, but uh, there's but also definitely... once the wastegate
2: opens, it all fucking sounds the same anyway. So, like, if the only real way to tell is like either it's off boost or you have a research.
3: Yeah, I mean, it'll. You can still have manifold design and runner design affect the sound of a wastegate yeah. but i find that thing,
2: the waste gate right. exit is is also very important in the sound like i know like if you dump it at yeah. the ground it sounds vastly different than if you dump it you know angled to the ground or out the hood or yeah you know what no, i mean that's, like
3: that, that's true and, and and i personally i don't know maybe this means i'm getting old but i'm definitely a fan of research um
2: on a streetcar. Yeah.
3: yeah almost yeah it's we've definitely done a few like hood exit screamers um, even recently. Oh, of
0: course, and, Gerard had one.
3: Yeah. But I mean, like it's, it's definitely like, you know, in your face and it it sounds good when you're drifting and stuff like that. Um, but uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a personal preference thing. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> same with T-51R mods, like my own car doesn't have it. Cause you know, it, it, sometimes it gets old, you know what I mean? And at first, yeah. you know, things like that are like, Oh, sick. Like, Every time I boost, I can hear both my waist gates uh, <laughs> and all these pedestrians are running away. Like whatever, <laughs> um, but yeah, you sure yeah. do. <laughs> Especially if it's uh, out the hood, out the hood, six hundred yeah. horse two J. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's definitely it's a personal preference thing, and mm-hmm. so many things can affect it that uh, it's a very hard thing to guarantee with a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah
2: but I think, I don't know. I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited for the, for sure. Like the other thing yeah. I was going to discuss is the weight. Like a lot of those, um, yes, it's, there's a lot of compromise in a, in a, in a tubular manifold. Cause it's like, a you got to, you know, do the airflow. So you got to place the turbo, you got to get the air there. So you need all these fucking tubes. And then now you need it not to crack. So you got to use these, you know, thick wall tubes and you need, yep. you know, the, the uh the flange needs to be thick so everything is thick and this thing you know by the time you're done the two wastegates and everything like that whole assembly itself is you know 40 50 pounds for and sure then, and then you put the turbo on it you know and then yeah like the for example like a small cast like investment cast manifold even with the wastegate uh because you can design it so much smoother and it doesn't need to have these tubes hanging off of it like the whole thing could be you know 15 pounds or something so you've you saved a large amount of weight Uh, absolutely and especially on like a 2j or something the engine itself is already like a boat anchor it's 700 pounds or something like that with all the turbo and accessories and all that shit so i mean if you can save you know 20 pounds on just the engine that's a huge huge thing
3: yeah absolutely and i think um you know it, it varies by model but you know weight wise i think you know they're Generally between a kilogram and a half or three kilograms lighter than most fabricated manifolds, so that is a benefit, mm-hmm. um, and that is something that's r- often overlooked. You know, weight yep. is important, and if you're, you know, obviously doing high level motorsport, it's everything. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. companies and people spend so much money to lose ridiculous amounts of of weight. Like even in the case of that IHI, like on on, on the two forty. know it's got a titanium turbine housing and the compressor housing is magnesium and they probably lost you know two or three pounds and probably quadrupled or maybe 10x the cost of the turbo. you know what i mean it's like it's kind of crazy um whereas you know one thing that's actually maybe a drawback of of some of the g-series stuff is they're actually very very heavy oh wow um and i think it comes back to Engineering, like it's—I wouldn't call it a drawback—but they're designed. You know, when they say they're rated for thousand fifty Celsius, you know, they're rated for like OEM type thousand fifty and Celsius. Yeah. Not just like oh, you'll hit it once and then that's it. Yeah, They'll probably like on the gas state. Yeah. Exactly, and so it's also got to have, you know, full containment at that temperature after fatigue whatever fatigue life or whatever's going on. So you got to have a thick housing that's going to be yeah. legitimately able to take this. You know, all the interface between the you know bearing housing and, and house and outer housings is very robust and rigid. And anyways, long story short, they're quite, quite heavy. Yeah. Um, and same with Borg Warners. I mean, they have aluminum uh versions of the EFRs, um, which gets a lot of weight out of it. Um, but you know, there's a lot of weight in a turbocharger. And we've, you know, kind of been working on uh aluminum center Center, sections for quite some time this has been kind of a i wouldn't call it back burner but uh something we don't push a lot and we are going to be you know probably q3 q4 it's going to be a lot more quantities of of different turbos coming out that we're making with aluminum center sections Um, and we found that you know originally i was a little apprehensive in terms of you know using that material in, in such a situation but we found that uh you know the fact that it conducts heat so much faster yeah with a good a good water jacket um it actually isn't in any way a performance drawback even at high temperatures and you know we started out doing you know thermal stress tests and things like that and, and we're actually pretty surprised and so for now you know it's been Probably two years. All of our R thirty five turbos are built around these aluminum cartridges, and
2: they have big heat sinks on them too.
3: Um, It's they're water cooled, so it's um, you know it's not like a a sort of air cooled heat sink or anything like that. But um, but just to dissipate the heat. Yeah, basically, it's designed to kind of let all the heat go into the cooling jacket. Um, Um, But it's also interesting too because what we found was. In like gas stand situations where they're getting mapped, you know it's kind of common to not run water cooling because it's kind of a pain to set up. And yeah, um, we were actually able to notice a difference in efficiency based on the heat transfer through the bearing housing. Oh wow! That's so, um, you know, if you're calculating compressor efficiency, you're basically looking at the pressure ratio and the you know temperature delta across the um, compressor. And you know, if you basically have heat transmitting through the bearing housing and heating up the housing on the compressor side you can actually measure that change in efficiency which is oh, not crazy. technically efficiency but it shows up as efficiency because the discharge temperature goes up and almost. efficiency. yeah pretty much. Um, but you know we can also have a you know a turbo that'll do you know 450 500 horsepower that weighs just under 10 pounds um which is which is kind of cool um, in, in cases where weight is, is really important. So, um, pretty, pretty proud of that, but haven't really been, um, really utilizing it. So we've kind of got some more universal turbos, um, based around, around these cartridges that we're going to be, um, rolling out and and making in higher volumes this year. So should be, should be good. And looking forward to that. In fact, yours, Gerard's turbo that hasn't made it on the engine yet. That's, that's one of those. I I I know. and yeah. that's going on like real soon. yeah i said kevin's, that for a while now kevin's got the iron version and if he did the no water cooled thing with one of these it would probably melt so oh. so you you have, to, you have to water cool it 100 okay. kevin will get away with it because oh, i want to put it, it on iron. i want to do
2: the water cooling
3: yeah. yeah okay good that's um, good i mean we could do it i'm always interested to <laughs> see destructive it? testing <laughs> One no, thing i was gonna
2: say oh shit i was just gonna say something and then, and then you brought that up and i totally forgot it um uh, totally spaced yeah I, I forgot completely what
3: i was gonna say uh yeah I, well i can't remember what we we're talking about before that i just like you were talking just going about uh, Turbos. we were talking no, about- you, yeah the last thing
2: you were talking about was the aluminum and then the r35 and the 500 horse turbo oh yeah 10 pounds oh and the, i yeah. was just going to say almost like the arms all the arm series that we're doing is actually switching yeah. to aluminum as well exactly yeah, yeah it's it's pretty cool because like yeah we've do, done a lot more you know we're, we're like way heavier into the uh like computer process of the design now so yeah i do a lot yeah. of fea um Sweet. but also yeah i mean it does cost more to manufacture, but but yeah, for us, it was like we 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 never really factored the amount of man hours and uh, just the amount of hands that it had to touch to be fabricated. And it's yeah. it's, it's almost like those RTEC manifolds and like the handmade manifold. Like it's like yeah, you can hand make a manifold. It takes one guy, you know, a bunch of hours, and then you know it could still be shit after he's done. You know what I mean? Whereas like yeah. you take one thing that has like one manufacturing process that's essentially taken care of by a computer the the uh, you know probability of a of a bad outcome is is lessened immensely and also like you don't have to yeah. pay all these people to do this shit and and hope that they do it correctly <laughs> so yeah
3: you know? and you have like one one process out of the whole thing that yeah. doesn't go right next you know you're all screwed and yeah uh, when you're actually trying to I know this is definitely not uh, my strong point but you know trying to capture the entire cost of making a product. You know, yeah, it's very easy to think, oh, that's not so bad because you're yeah. missing this and you're not considering you driving to go pick up some
2: yeah, harder yeah. Oh, it came it is, from yeah. Anada or it came from machining and now it has to go to you know this place and then it has to get welded. Oh, but like we don't pay the welder because he like just you know has a stuff, you know, like this and that. Yeah, and yeah, if you actually calculate the cost of this fabricated product, it's it it could easily be the same or more than like a really highly machined or whatever yeah. cast or whatever product like yeah it's for sure. and the value and the value you is there's not a lot of value in that added fabricated cost compared to the you know the aluminum like like yours you're saying it has all these extra advantages um yeah. and it may cost more but in fact you're getting a lot more
3: right and even like in the case of manifold you know it's not uncommon especially if you're buying canadian dollars you know for a manifold to be two thousand yeah dollars which and is that sounds unbelievable. Ridiculous. And yeah. when I like starting out, when we started doing that, I like didn't almost I, I didn't have the balls to like charge that. Yeah. And frankly, was making almost nothing, and it probably wasn't even worth doing if you actually captured all the costs. Yep. But, um, you know, once you really start looking at it, all the price of, you know, cutting and prepping and beveling yep. and f- tacking this up and welding it and porting this and designing the flange and having a to cut, and it's a it's a fortune. So it's uh, it's really what are those easy. things worth anyways? Those new cast manifolds. Um, they're, I mean, honestly, they're generally. It varies from from part to part because certain yeah. ones are a little more complicated for tooling or whatever. I would say a JZ um, one. It's it's about generally it's comparable to a fabricated manifold oh, okay. in terms of cost. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not like a you know like one of these iron cast manifolds where it's like three hundred bucks either. <laughs> but you know, feature wise and and uh, material and craftsmanship and everything else, I think um, the value is definitely there. But that's cool. Um it's uh yeah, it's it's new and um you know we're definitely going to a lot of you know these with, with Jay zs for a lot of the reasons we were talking about before. We're still gonna be making um kind of our high mover manifolds, especially for RB that just have been really proven and and work very well and fit well and work great with the turbos we've already validated. So we're gonna be doing a bit of a mix. Um, but uh there's definitely cases where it's it's really a you know, unique thing that, uh, is, is hard to beat.
2: So oh. is, is, is turbocharging the absolute answer? Like, is there, is there, is there any, actually any good, like compared comparatively to like a, like a half decent turbocharged system?
3: Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there is no replacement for displacement. Of course, if you have no need for fuel economy or no limitations, you know Mm -hmm. you can't go wrong with more displacement but Mm -hmm. um yeah there's a kind of sophistication to it that i seem to like and uh, a complexity that keeps you interested and gives you enough challenge to maintain you know your motivation and then um you know i think the more cutting edge of turbocharger technology is you know electronic integration Mm -hmm. and all these sorts of things that Are being done both for performance and economy sake for you know depending on the application uh which is which is really interesting and i think
2: that's a good point i think a lot of people don't know that turbochargers actually make your car more efficient like they 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 add fuel economy because they add torque and and they like reclaim that power and i mean yeah yeah yeah. and that's apparently
1: my mic's been off and that's why i was like man like these guys won't let me talk yeah
3: you're you're just uh I, sit, yeah. sitting back and listening yeah i thought you were just sitting
1: there so i was gonna say uh i was gonna ask a question about uh electronics because basically, like TurboSmart has that like electric wastegate. wastegate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which seems like really cool. Like I uh, wanted to like know what your opinion on that is. Like, is that just another like, oh, here's one company doing one thing and obviously TurboSmart's it's not, a the, ass company. It's not they, the thing, or is this like this is the company yeah. and they're the first to do the thing and this is the
3: future of the thing? So there I, I definitely I, I love TurboSmart as a company. Uh, in fact, we're now <laughs> only using TurboSmart wastegates on kits. we're yeah. making.
1: nice.
2: Um, I strayed from that for a bit, and that, I will never do that again.
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> you know you don't like the tiles, bro. Yeah, there's they're good no. quality, but yeah, I think especially the Gen V, Gen Five uh they have a lot of good features and they're they're well designed. But anyways, the, yeah, the electronic wastegates are definitely new and exciting. You know, they're winning all sorts of SEMA awards and stuff um as is common in the aftermarket it is a technology that was lifted from oems um you know a lot of oem turbochargers have been inter- uh, electronically actuated for a number of years f-150s like literally you buy a new f-150 it's got electronic actuators on it um, so it's a very cool technology it's very cool that they brought it to the aftermarket it's probably not going to really take off right away because it's very expensive. Challenging. it's challenging and it's expensive because yeah, a, right
1: now it's three times the price basically
3: yeah and the current draw from a motor like this is, is very high so you can't yeah. just like wire it into some you know analog output from your vcu and like have adder um and the control strategy is very challenging so you know you can't just you know wastegate control is really really complicated with you know pids and and all these sorts of things where you know you can't just command Oh, it's open. closed till five thousand RPM, and then slap yeah. it open, and you know maintain this equilibrium. So there's definitely got to be a control strategy that goes along with it that is going to cut off a lot of people from using it because you're going to have to be smart. You're going to have to have tuners, you know, have know, a or an Mtron, or yeah, and the tuners got to be switched on. Um, So there's cases where it's very, very useful because you know anyone who's had an external wastegate knows it's fucking annoying. You know, you got to change the spring. If you're drag racing, you want to run six PSI for launch and first gear, and then you want to feed it, you know, back half it at 60 PSI, and you can't really easily make a wastegate do that, so you're using CO2 and all these other crazy things. Um, so, you know, in that regard, it's very, very useful because you could theoretically run no boost or not no boost, but whatever the minimum boost your sort of orifice size allows, and then as much boost as your turbo will support, without changing springs or any of that sort of stuff. So it's 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 very cool. Um, the, the sort of uh, throttle-shaped valve is interesting because um, that other sort of OEM project I mentioned earlier also has a... Basically a throttle valve. It has, has an electronic wastegate. So we had to... There's a bunch of learning based around that that was pretty interesting. Um, it's also kind of cool to have a position sensor on your wastegate. Because you, in terms of turbine matching, you can learn a lot by the relationship between the wastegate position and then sort of approximated wastegate flow versus turbine performance. Um, So that's kind of an interesting bit of data to look at. Um, But yeah, I think if it's one of these things where if I won the lottery and didn't have to actually work or run a business, I'd just be like playing around with that sort of thing all day, you know.
2: Uh, For for regular people, yeah, the wastegate obviously is what what, uh, evacuates, or I guess releases, yep. uh, excess boost pressure. Cause like a turbo will make X amount of PSI, but your motor or whatever can't take that much PSI. And then yep. I guess the, the, the best way to do it is to have the wastegate closed to make the amount of boost, the most amount of boost, the quickest yep. until you can't make any more boost or your engine can't take any more or whatever. And then you just let it all go. Basically you waste it. So
3: yeah basically you're not
1: wasting the boost though you're just no you're you're wasting it you're wasting the exhaust which prevents it from making more boost you're not like bleeding off the boost that's already there yeah 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 Yeah. exactly
3: yes and that's that sort of topic is one that i'm gonna i could kind of go too far off the deep end and (laughs) not make any sense but yeah like it's one of these it's funny though because the the way i would describe it is you know you're gonna have a target boost curve that you're going to try to achieve obviously when your wastegate's fully closed, if you're at a low RPM and and the power is not there to drive the the turbine or, or compressor, you're not going to have boost. So, at one point, when it becomes, you know, excessive in terms of the available turbine energy, you have to provide exactly the right amount of turbine or compressor power to the uh, to the compressor to hit exactly what your boost target is. So that wastegate has to be almost infinitely changing in position based yeah. on how the flow rate through the turbine is changing, how the temperature yeah. through the turbine is changing, how the compressor power requirements yeah. are changing. Flow position, result.
2: RPM, everything.
3: Yeah. So so the, the sort of pneumatic spring method inherently has an equilibrium that that kind of works um in most cases, but uh as soon as you rely on a motor to do that, it, it becomes challenging and yeah. Again, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but- It almost seems like know.
2: they should just have a regular wastegate with a motor on the backside.
3: Yeah. there's There's been some designs that are kind of like that, um,
2: but the other then thing- then you could just sort of let it do its thing, but then like instead of you having to control it with a boost controller, technically, and use the, it could just basically fucking shut it. Yeah. Just like yeah. limit the traveler.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's There's some, I guess some of the internal wastegate factory style ones are maybe a little more like that, where it's kind of a like a linear actuator instead of a rotational thing. But oh, wow. Um the one thing that's also misunderstood about waste gates and turbine interaction is, you know, if you have a turbocharger that is more efficient, whether it's if your compressor efficiency goes up and the amount of power you need to drive, the compressor goes down or the turbine efficiency goes up and, you know, the amount of, you know, energy that the turbine needs to provide that shaft power goes down you're going to require more wastegating. so if you take a turbo for instance you have some t88 as an example like you mentioned before and you go and throw on the newest EFR or like you know one of our turbos or G series or something with a lot of turbine efficiency or or high efficiency it's not uncommon to induce creep because Mm -hmm. now your efficiency is so much higher that the wastegate percentage now has to go up substantially because it doesn't require as much of an expansion ratio, or as much exhaust flow to, you know, drive yeah. the compressor, and now you've got creep. And you know, we've definitely had customers who have, you know, upgraded the turbo, or, you know, in some way increased the volumetric efficiency of the engine, or increased EDTs and sort of, or even you know, reduced P4 pressure, basically, or uh, post turbine pressure. And and basically now you've induced creep, and it's like oh this wastegate or this manifold sucks, and it's like well, creep is a is a system issue, and it can be very challenging to size everything correctly to avoid it, especially with modern turbos that are, uh, you know, basically able to produce a certain boost pressure with less exhaust gas energy.
2: Essentially, what you're saying is that with the T eighty eight, it would have taken. A lot longer to get to. Let's say you wanted 15 pounds, it yeah. Would, it would it would take a lot longer, and it would have more to do a lot energy. more work, yeah, more exhaust energy yeah. to get to 15 pounds. So right. the wastegate wouldn't really have to fucking do anything until, let's say, 4,500 RPM, and then it's like, oh, okay, here's all the boost, and then you know, and then it opens I'm gonna up. and then I'm gonna open up. But like, if you put an efficient turbo on it, it can make 15 pounds let's say at like 2500 rpm or at 20% throttle instead of like 60% throttle or, or you know these are just like examples yeah. but yeah the wastegate would have to do a lot more like,
3: right cuz you're you're going to shift the entire wastegate yeah. flow curve yeah. by either making it more efficient or downsizing the turbine or right. anything and then, that makes it more responsive will inherently make it more prone to creep and will yeah. require more wastegating because it's uh yeah. And the creep is better, um, using that energy better.
2: And the creep essentially is like, like, you know, if you had your wastegate set up for 15 pounds on the T88, you yeah. put this G30 or the spectrum turbo on, it'll make 15 pounds at 2000 RPM, but the wastegate isn't big enough or isn't, isn't set up correctly. And now it's making 16, 17 pounds because it can't, uh, you know, weight it can't bypass enough exhaust energy is, is kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah.
3: Basically the um you know the the requirement for waste skating at high RPM exceeds what the valve body yeah. will flow. There you go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's you know it's one of these things where again every really, Yeah, more wastegate or game. another one. Or more or efe- another or more one. efficient
2: wastegate uh yeah. path Placement design yet. or shape. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
3: Exactly. So that's um it's, it's kind of a, another kind of compromise. The more efficient everything is the harder the wastegate is going to have to work, the harder it is to control it. All these other things. Um, that's why you got two bro. Yeah, exactly. To stack them up. <laughs> um, which is good. <laughs> now you got two to really, control though.
0: <laughs> yeah, you just exactly. split it, man. I've never yeah, had,
3: a you pro. got twice, twice the lines to melt and blast out. Yeah. Yeah. Test your boots. Twice, twice the end repolished. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a whole... It's the screamer it's pipes
1: that you got to make come out the hood now.
3: Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's, that's cool the whole two songs. screamer pipes, though, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Anyways. yeah. Hey, uh, did you uh, know that Creep is also a song by Radiohead and TLC? <laughs> yeah. Just you tossing know, that out there. Okay, it, yeah. uh, here's... I don't know if we want to keep going, but we've been going for... <laughs> we've a, been going real ten. hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how to edit this. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think you, you know, I don't think
1: you do. I think that's uh, the best. This is the best whatever. We're just, <laughs> just going to call this
2: one
0: straight. the most technical podcast you've ever listened to. ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's good though. I, I have notes. It is. I have like two notes. It's like two things to cut out and that's all I know to cut out. Yeah. The rest I And out.
3: like 75, 75% of the people are going to tap out like 30 minutes in and then, uh, <laughs> You know, ten percent are going to be like, no, like
1: I know, I know. I think this, I think this is the most engaging <laughs> one sort of thing. You know what I mean? I feel like... if
3: if if you're in if you're if, it, if you're, into, if, you're into, exactly, if you yeah, that's the yeah. Thing. yeah.
0: Listen, if you're here to hear what uh, Gerard's top ten favorite things are, things please, are, yeah, then then <laughs> yeah. this isn't the one for you. But if you want an extensive deep dive into turbos, we just got to talk about
2: what kind of what kind of car Chris actually wants. Yeah. I want some. I, I do. think
0: we've run out of runway, but okay. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs>
1: Chris, which car makes which factory car makes the best juice stew, stew noises? Oh, that's a very good
3: question. That's a very good question. I would have to say if you take a 5.9 Dodge and pull the silencer <laughs> ring out, then that will be your primo rolling coal fucking you know soundtrack <laughs>
2: i wanted to ask you though like i mean this could either be on or off what do you think about the hot v Man, that's pretty wild eh? like how yeah the turbos on the inside
3: it's it's cool um because that's you like no, yeah, think you no the amgs pair. are like that the the four yeah. liters there's there's, there's yeah, quite a few now down. yeah but exactly they're you know lewis hamilton handed it off
4: and
3: <laughs> they got it right away um but yeah it's it's literally all about exhaust pulses you know what i mean and that's yeah kind of interesting you know like those amg hot v um v8s you know if you have a normal v8 it's it's like a firing order thing you know you can't really you can't do a twin you can't do two twin scroll turbos easily um with a conventional flowing head you gotta like package them all inside now you have really compact pre-turbine volume Mm -hmm. and you can pair cylinders However you like and so those uh, aren't
2: those aren't just like this and one turbo one either. They like feed no, each other.
3: Yeah, yeah. They, they shut split. the fuck so that's, up. That's kind of the objective. It's like a oh that's just like a like a flat plane crank, right? Oh, that's um, crazy. You can, you know, I, I I again I'm not that good with V8 firing orders and shit. Um, but inherently, you know, if you have a normal sort of split pin split split pin crank, you you end up having um less than ideal exhaust pulses yeah. whereas um if you flip it everything's on the inside you can do whatever you like and pair whatever cylinders you want and away you go oh,
2: that's way cooler yeah. than i even thought what do the downpipes look like on that thing they just come down like that probably i haven't so fucking cool. i
3: haven't done them or anything myself but it's yeah it's it's like a it's an exercise in thermal management basically
2: yeah you would assume that you, you know, I know i know uh On those A45s, they have, like, all sorts of cooling shit. Like, even the AC is piped into, uh, onto the, because the turbo's at the back, and they actually have, like, AC that pumps into somewhere around the fucking turbo if it gets too hot. Like heat exchanger or something. Yeah, which is fucking wild, man.
3: Yeah. Again, keep it simple, stupid. completely disregarded. They're just like, we're going to fit it all in there. It's going to work super sick. And when your warranty expires, yeah, you know, you're good fucked. Year.
1: Good luck. <laughs>
3: <for your friend. laughs> but it's
2: pretty crazy how like, and it's fucked. Those cars are so unbelievably fast. It's like how can oh, yeah. you? It's like three point, three fucking six or three point five seconds to sixty in that yeah. little fucking thing. It's just unbelievable, man. Those
3: cars That's, are just sick. Yeah, I just. It's almost like the the beauty of direct injection, in my opinion. It's like yeah. without that turbocharged. Two liters with 400 horsepower from the factory is just like on pump gas is just not happening
2: yeah but they have you know they have direct injection and regular injection on that car
3: yeah it's something yeah. they learned from toyota i bet yeah because <laughs> all the early direct injection german cars were like gumming up and taking yeah of like all those uh bmws that you have to get the
2: fucking walnut blasted manifolds and stuff
3: exactly and i remember the first time we turboed an frs um like they start on port injection yeah, And then so we like put it on, you know, first prototype, fire it up, leave the coolant, you know, after like 10 or 15 seconds, we're like, oh, everything looks good, not leaking. And then the direct injection clicks in and it's like kind of rattly. It's like, like oh, shit, like <laughs> what the fuck happened? Like we thought it had, you know, top end noise or something. Yeah. And sure enough, it's like, oh, Toyota, very smart. I mean, obviously it's not necessarily a Toyota engine, frankly, maybe I should be giving this credit to Subaru, but yeah no, um,
0: no 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 yeah <laughs> anyways <laughs> having
3: both make makes it nice because you have an abundance of fuel available if you're tuning it yeah and you get the efficiency and combustion of direct injection direct injection with the sort of spraying of atomized fuel that port injection gives you so it's it's a good way to do it in yeah, my opinion cool. but again that's not my really forte i guess yeah. so very complicated yeah
2: <laughs> Fuck! i never knew the V was like that that's actually really sick
3: yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but there's I'm sure there's other, you know, values and objectives, yeah. but uh as far I was as just thinking like initially,
2: like what the fuck? Why would they do that? That's just so weird. But like because I remember doing one like it's like old Ford Ford something or other, and the turbo sits in the middle. Like yep. it's
3: fucked up. S- like six liters, even, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's even like six, seven diesels, like Fords they're they're hot fee as well and and uh they're not like
2: that they're just like oh here's here's a turbo and yeah it's simple but they do have like the
3: turbine housing has two inlets and i'm not sure how they pair it because i've i've looked at the turbo endlessly but i haven't really seen the engine but cool. one one of the things you can do when you're able to match whatever runner you want without i guess that's why those yes all right i guess why those that's why those cars cost just
2: immense amounts of money (laughs)
3: yeah no doubt
2: That's
3: crazy. Um,
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, turbos. That's how you talk about turbos.
3: Fucking turbos.
0: That is how you do it. I got uh, one last question.
1: All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to be like, all right, so, the turbonator (laughs) that you put in line in your air intake, (laughs) (laughs) how does that work? Oh, man. (laughs) You know, it's... (laughs) Oh, it's called the tornado. Oh, the
3: tornado. It's it's funny that you use the word turbonator because, um... Our our employee and like main TurboTech Keith uh, came up with this idea that he called the Turbonator like ten years ago, <laughs> and it was basically like an exhaust driven alternator called the Turbonator. Yo, it, yeah, it was. Anyways, at the time we were, I was, we were kind of joking around about it, and sure enough, yeah, you know, T one thousand BMWs have patented it, and now there's you know factory turbochargers where the turbine is being driven by the exhaust gas, driving a little generator that then charges a battery and then the compressor is electronically driven so they're just completely separate
1: oh yeah it's a full e-turbo
3: yeah and it's what it's like that's what people are doing nowadays and same with you know f1 um they don't necessarily have to have the turbine and compressor beside each other you know you can do all sorts of different things what Um, yeah that's not not
1: shaft driven anymore
3: yeah well i think a lot of them are shaft driven but um again you don't even get access to that sort of technology but uh
2: so the exhaust drives a compressor, which or a turbine, which drives a generator, which generates power to power the compressor that turbocharges the engine?
3: Yes. But in the <sighs> case of F1, it's it's even more interesting because, again, like kind of talking about wastegates, you know, it's in the name. It's sort of wasteful in nature. And yeah. anything that wastegates has 0% efficiency. You're not recuperating yeah. energy your yeah. wastegate flow. So what happens in Formula 1 and Le Mans, whatever, instead of having a wastegate, they have an electronic motor or like a generator yeah generator. i'm not sure i'm not sure that's technically the right term for it but i'm not really very good electric but basically
2: but it's like the regen. the point on, is on it's basically battery.
3: dragging you know it's it's regenerating electricity Whoa. from the exhaust stream by way of the turbine instead of waste it so it controls boost by how much energy it's pulling out of the bearing system dude that's so sick. and then and what does it, it use it for? Well, that well, like it's you know integrated with the whatever kinetic energy recovery system and oh, yeah, whatever other they have high electric, voltage yeah. system wow. it has, and the then TRS when it's when it's at low RPM coming on to boost, now it can just use electricity to drive the compressor before the turbine would it ever be able to do so, and then as it flips over to a point where you know the wastegating becomes excessive and and the ability to drive the compressor is higher than what your target boost is, now you can just start dumping energy back into the battery system, and. <sighs> Anyways, this is the kind of thing I wanted to play around with with stupid CRZ. Obviously, nowhere near so- sophisticated. Um but, that's so you know, cool. just just having um a hybrid system and a manual transmission and hopefully some electronic engineer I can lean into for the hard part of that side of things because well I don't garrett markets
1: me. like an e-turbo too for like oh yeah aftermarket it's... applications but like it's yeah. like 48 volt and like all sorts of stuff and it's like
3: exactly like, what like what the you would need game. to run
1: the actual turbo makes it so ridiculous that like like it's only weird weird specific application sort of thing
3: right exactly and i look at it as it's not like it's we're going to be like making some fucking electric turbo crz turbo kit and be like ooh, now this is our highest mover like it's, it's just like it's exposure to new technology when you know you're in a dying industry you know what i mean you got to kind of play around and understand it better and then you know see where you can go in the future by hopefully understanding more about the cutting edge of sort of technology or whatever it ends up being that's so crazy yeah. but, my mind's been blown today
1: it feels yeah. like we've like made it to the perfect ending point too. I think. You know I, mean? I think.
3: Yeah. I just looked at the clock and I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe that's it. But realistically, yeah, I could literally blob about fucking miscellaneous turbo crap for.
0: All right. Well, next Wednesday we'll do part two.
3: Yeah, part two. Yeah,
0: it's just a turbo blog or a turbo <laughs> podcast, podcast now from now on. Yeah, are we just talking about turbos?
3: We gotta. Yeah, no, maybe we don't. But once we bring in like the PowerPoint slides, then we really yeah. get into the, yeah. <laughs> the the advanced. I want to see some compressor matching. maps. Yeah, let's see.
1: I just want to see a whole sheet that looks
3: like fingerprints. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No, we got. That. We're actually very lucky to. I mean, I I know huge companies that, that don't have compressor maps. And luckily with some partnerships, we've been able to, like we have a compressor and turbine map for every turbo we sell. We don't necessarily advertise it, but you know, if it's someone deserving of it in a motorsports situation, we'll go and we'll do like a complete application analysis and compressor and turbine match, and then email them stuff. And there's definitely a few cases where people are like, what the fuck? Like, I don't like. Wasn't expecting this sort of thing, but yeah, uh, it's nice. Sometimes yeah. it's appreciated. Other time, it's you know, kind of falling on deaf ears. But look
2: sick, man. Thanks. <laughs>
3: Yeah, exactly. What does this mean? Like, how many stew stews does this graph show?
1: <laughs> Bro, I don't get it. Yo, I posted yeah. this on the Facebook group and nobody liked it. No, this, yo, no, 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 it's going to
2: be this. Yo, so I posted it up and like this guy was saying that the choke and, <laughs> yeah. you know, man, this, yeah. this turbo is going to surge. Like, wait, are you sure, Chris? Like, yeah. Are you sure, man? Like, you sure you know what you're doing like oh my god yeah man buy buy the bigger one bro
3: yeah exactly and you get you know you get surprised sometimes because when you're doing aftermarket shit you don't actually have all the engine data you need to do it properly yeah but you get a feel for you know the volumetric yeah you just like harsh make a guess at the ve of what it's going to be like yeah uh, and then you back calculate it and that's why we always (laughs) when we're testing we always measure like p3 pressure or uh turbine inlet pressure because that kind of balls up your entire match. And if you calculated a number and you measure it accurately with where you expected, it, it shows that all the rest of your calculations are right. Um, and it's kind of just like the easiest way to check your work. But sounds like a lot of that's mass, bro. Yeah, that's I got uh, yeah. I was I was lucky to be kind of mentored by someone with unbelievable knowledge on the subject, and it was definitely one of those things where at the beginning I was like. I don't know if I could ever understand this. And then it pushes you to spend the next, you know, five years understanding it and going uh, down a rabbit
1: hole. You know, pressure.
3: exactly. But anyways, All right. yeah,
0: we did it. We yeah. did it. All Wrapping right. Wrap it up, Ryan. Well,
1: what
0: did up we in learn a turbo today? blanket. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did I learn today?
2: What did you learn today?
0: Scrum is a, Scrum's a scientist you already knew that um,
3: not yet yeah, maybe not. i
0: thought he was a wizard but it turns out he's actually like a, a, a math a, a math magician <laughs> yeah, more he's than a, he's he's a the wizard. Math <laughs> magician yeah um and what else did i learn there's no real way to become scram like you just it's like he's a superhero i've he's learned that. that way well, he wasn't born that way, but no. <laughs> through a series of very unlikely events in like the 20,000 hours or whatever we talk about, like he became that person. <laughs> and I don't know how else you, where <laughs> yeah, you even yeah. go to begin this journey to understand. You have it, to be um, lucky and fraction. you just have to
3: work 16 hours a day for like eight years plus. And yeah. Then,
0: then hey, if I told you if I told you that now, like told younger you that, like you're going to do all these things, but this is how much work you're going to have to put in. Would you still do it? Or would you be like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to do central
3: questioning at 1230. That's what I actually do. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I mean, you got nothing better to do. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I would probably be, uh, be pretty stoked. And maybe that's, that's a whole other side topic, but, I think as a as a person, you almost gotta like strive to make something of yourself that would make the younger version of you be like, hey, that's cool, you know. So yeah. Oh gotta try it. Oh yeah.
0: well that's a, that's a really great answer. And I so that's good. So you made the you did the right thing.
3: So great. far. <laughs> so I mean, far.
0: Yeah.
3: Until they uh, ban internal combustion engines and then I'm like homeless in a sh- shack. <laughs> or something like that. You oh. Don't hey man worry, they're going to be they
1: turbocharging those hydrogens.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to we're going to going to love Toyota. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to get into Tesla except that they they're ditching hydrogens for for electric. So,
1: yeah. There you go.
0: Yeah, they are. <laughs> well, there you go. There you have it. We've learned a lot and really great. They just and,
1: released hey. a uh, Toyota just released a new hydrogen V8. Oh shit. Yes.
2: What the hell is that going into, though? Sounds I don't contradictory. Apparently, yeah. makes
1: 455 horsepower.
2: Ooh, a whopping 455 horsepower! What, what is it going is it? into? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Probably, it's probably uh, an, an engineering exercise, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what Toyota. I'm saying. Come on, they just man. released
2: it, so like it's it's basically not happen like it's, it's nothing <laughs> no, you know? they have
0: no use for it
2: <laughs> yeah and it gets they probably just know. did it to say that they did it you know oh the hydrogen we can't say that we just quit well here's this v8 that we did you know
3: yeah they're, they're and, that, and now we're
2: doing electric so yeah fuck that shit so
3: yeah but That's that so sounds perfect. cool yeah just fill her, fill her up with premium hydrogen and you get 300 <laughs> sure. kilometers you know yeah. no problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, hey Scram, thanks for hanging out with us. That yeah, was really thanks insightful.
3: Thanks Thanks for having me on. Yeah. That was uh, a goddamn
0: fun. genius. Thank and, you for being a friend.
3: Yes, you as well. Thank you. down the road back again. Yeah.
0: Oof, those were my wedding vows. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you golden, for being Golden Girls. The Golden Girl theme. Jody, those were Jody's wedding vows for me. And yeah. then she forgot. And then I had to like lean over Sing and it. tell her the lyrics to Golden you Girls. To... And then she said. There's a photo of me like leaning whispering her vows in her ear. So then to, she can so that you could say me. them
1: to
3: you.
0: Yeah. And then mine That's were so from funny. uh a dire straight song. So there you go. <laughs> and on that note
3: Sultans <laughs> of Swing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was Sultans of Swing is what talk it was. to
2: talk to Jody. Was, you uh, I want my M T
0: V. I want my, MTV. <laughs> uh, that my. That was my. Yeah. Those are my vows. Uh yeah. Okay, I'll talk to, to my wife and tell her that I need to do some filming. And that is a last trip with Kevin. And oh yeah, shit. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so many things. All right. So... <laughs> okay. So oh, of time. Okay. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later.
3: Okay, bye. bye. Nighty night.
4: Thanks for listening to Serial Podcast Nine.